This is exactly right. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. Welcome. My name is Lisa Traeger. And I'm Kara Clank. You know our situation. We're an SVU podcast. We talk about SVU. We talk about a true crime that the episode is based on. And we interview an amazing guest. And today is our last episode of the year. It's uh, almost the end of 2022. This is our retrospective episode where we look back. Now, we're not going to really do that. We're just, uh, I don't know. I'm very thankful for all of you listeners, everybody that's listened to us this year, everyone that's come to see us live, anyone that's told a friend about our podcast, anyone that's mentioned uh, or interacted with us on Instagram. You guys are really funny and uh, we just love uh, our audience. So thank you guys so much for sticking with us this year. Yeah, and hopefully over these past few weeks, if you saw your family, hopefully they weren't too annoying. You know, <laughs> yeah. hopefully the family cat didn't ruin your Christmas tree and start a fire. You know, no no Christmas vacation shenanigans. I'm wishing everyone, everything was like oh smooth gosh. and fun and calm. And it just goes right into 2023. I just, ugh, wow, time is wild. Yeah, time is <laughs> wild that we started this in 2020. Um, but it was the end. So it feels like, but it still feels like forever. Um, but-, but someone will say something like that was six years ago. And I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> I don't know. But maybe that's just how time works and how adults always were when I was little. And like, oh, time flies. But I really have- It is that. how time works. But it also feels like a full year and a half was like just deleted from the calendar. You know what I mean? Like I didn't see people's kids and then I see them and I'm like, wow, how did they get so big? It's like, I didn't see them because of the fucking pandemic. You know, like you just, that kind of, but- Hopefully going into 2023, we can really, really start to kiss COVID goodbye and oh, all be I'll healthy go. and happy. This is good news, time machine back in the day, but hell yeah, Georgia, even though it was by half a percent. Yes. With Warnock winning over like a true liar. Like, 
the world doesn't even surprise me anymore that he won by truly half a percent, a percent. Well, yeah. I think it just goes to show that it's sometimes it's like not even really about the candidates. It's just about the parties. Like people are just voting for him because it's their party. Like he's truly a brain damaged football player who doesn't live in your state. And 49 and a half percent of people in the state voted for him. Like, or not in the state, but of people who voted. Um, over a million people. It was like a million and a half people were like, yes, this man, this man who is anti-abortion in any circumstance, a brutal rape, he doesn't care. You know, like it's fucking But has been insane. proven to have paid for abortions. Right. They're okay for him. <laughs> That's like the Republican way, isn't it? It's okay yeah. for me, It's it's but it's not okay for everybody else. Anyway. Yeah. The holiday cheer you really wanted, but um, yeah, New Year's. I hope you're all fucking sledding in your cute little boots. Yeah. I hope everyone got the Uggs of their dreams. <gasps> oh, yeah. But- Thank you for a great year, everybody. Thanks for listening to the podcast, coming to our live shows. Yeah, bringing so many lovely gifts. My apartment can't even hold them all. They're uh, they're so beautiful and thoughtful. And yeah, meeting everyone and hearing from all the clubs that everyone that comes out to our shows are like incredible tippers, that they love to drink and eat hummus, that like they love to spend and are polite and like that venues don't have to worry that someone's going to be puking and punching someone. It's yeah. It's just like, it's very nice. And you're all like professional, cool people with passions and fun accessories. And yeah, it's really and, nice. oh, and also a special shout out. I would like to shout out to the gentleman who brought us wigs in Orlando. Casa Glam Wigs brought me and Lisa both like beautifully styled, like these are not party city bag wigs. Like they are styled with spray. Like they are... Gorgeous. And I feel like I'm going to be Dolly Parton for Halloween just so I can wear it. Yeah. And then I, well, I wish Katy Perry didn't end up being a dumb bitch, but <laughs> that pink wig would have been a perfect Katy Perry outfit. And I wonder if they're all set. I just want to know how they all feel. Like, I would feel embarrassed if I spent $100 million and still couldn't achieve my goal. It'd be We're like, We're talking wow. about the LA mayoral race in case anyone's not listening, in case anyone's <laughs> not understanding. Like, we... Katy Perry and Dorit and, and Gwyneth Paltrow and all these idiots supported this millionaire who was trying to buy the election and he didn't win and we're very happy about it here in LA. Wait, um, um, do, okay, so on our street, York, close to where we hang out, there's a taco truck, famous Charlie's Tacos. It's always there. And when I met friends at the bar recently, that was like, I was like, oh, I can't wait to grab a taco. I won't eat dinner because I'd like to have tacos. They installed a bike rack in their location. <gasps> so where do they and go now? They're by Super A, which is fine. Not as Wait. convenient or fun, but I think it's a personal attack. I think someone, but which is weird because our whole community and street, like all the brick and mortars work with the tented, like everyone gets along and everyone's yeah. friends. And um, I talked to the Bang Bang Noodle guy about this, um, but... I, you know, some of the guys there was like, it's probably a coincidence. I'm like, there's no coincidence because the bike rack was by um, Cafe de Leche. You know, there was another bike rack. Yeah. And they took it and put it right where Charlie's Tacos always is. And I wonder if people complained or like, I don't, or the city. That's so crazy. And Charlie's, friends, I saw it down by Super A and I thought, that's weird. Why are they here? But maybe I'm looking at the wrong truck. Maybe it's like a different red truck. Like I just was right. like, I had my kids. I wasn't really paying attention. That's nuts. But, you know, selfishly closer to me. <laughs> I know, but not near the bars. Like the whole right. thing, it's like you got They've out of the bar. They've got to be able to find another spot. 
I just wonder what happened because it seems so deliberate. I don't think it could be an accident. I mean, Charlie, I don't even know where they found the time to do the construction since Charlie's is there all the time. Every day. All no, the people that my- own it like live a couple blocks away. I pass their house all the time because they take out the van that has all the extra like equi- like um stuff in it. Yeah. Well, a sad, a sad moment, but maybe it'll get worked out. We'll see. Well, my friend, our friends made fun of me. They're like, wow, Lisa's going to get into local politics. Yeah. To, for Charlie's Very local, truck. very grassroots. Um, um, so this is what my announcement, you know, I haven't really been watching season 24 and I've been like, nah, it's too sad. I'm like, I don't know. Obsessed. I watched like all, I caught up. I'm, I love it. SVU is so good. I don't know why I try to deny it. I try to <laughs> deny it. I try to think I don't like the new season. I watched it on the edge of my seat, thrilled, great acting, great stories, uh, storylines. I mean, the thing with Rollins being a professor is very silly to me. Like, suddenly she starts speaking fully. Like, she's never spoken like this, like, ever. This book smarty way. But also, Kara, I just kept laughing because it is about the most powerful lifeguard in the world. (laughs) The most powerful um, bank lady and then the most powerful soccer player all in a row. And I could not stop laughing. I was just like, maybe it was just because they had those all three in a row. I was like, these aren't really relatable. Like, I mean, these are like wild political stories about the elite of New York City. Like, can we maybe mix these in with other ones? But did you, I I really like, I really liked some of the other episodes I've seen this season. And, you know, it is, well, gra- it's, it's just a great show. All the crimes we do, it's not a competition or horrific in all of their own ways. The ones that affect me the most in my core are um, confined. Like you're snatched off the street and then the next thing you know, you're spending 10 years at the whim of a, of, right. of a maniac. Yeah. Um, and that episode this season is going to haunt me for a while. Like I've, I had nightmares. I can't stop thinking about it. Wait, wait, wait. Which one was it? Where... Um, like there's a family with a restaurant in the apartments upstairs and a guy comes in, shoots the dad, shoots the mom and then takes Priya. And oh, then, yes. And then in this dark basement, there's they like find eight her. women living and some have been there for over a decade and have had kids there. And just like, yeah, you have to behave and the the punishment and then people don't understand it. And the defense attorneys are so evil with why didn't you escape and all of that. Yeah, and, like very, uh, very tied into the Cleveland uh, situation and some other They just also crimes. did such a good job of like the aftermath of the women being like, keep the door open or like, yeah. you know, being like so scared of stuff and like, just how do you unlearn 10 years of that? But those are the ones that scare me the most is like being snatched and then put in a basement and no one finds you. Yeah. See, yeah. I will say a lot of the ones where crime happens on the subway freak me out because I just spent so much of my life on the subway. So like that one this past season of the girl, just like those guys just coming on the subway and just killing the dad in front of the daughter and then just the attacking the girl. I've, t- I've talked many times about one of my most haunting is the Nicole Sullivan episode, you know, where she is attacked on like the C train and no one watches it and everyone watches and no one does anything. Like those are some of my most. Not that I would love to get kidnapped and held in a room for 10 years. That's also very haunting to me. But no, but it's just I'm, the ones that affect it. So even some of the cases where it's like the family is like the incest family cults and you can't leave and you're just trapped by yeah. a... A man. Oh, they scare me. But this is our New Year's episode. And uh, so I don't want to go into a dark, dark uh, basement hole. But yeah, well, 
as always, I will remind you. We will be in Indianapolis on January 12th. We'll be in Philly on the 19th, New York on the 20th, Boston on the 21st, Hartford on the 22nd, and then Vancouver, Canada on February 20th. So get those ticks. They're at thatsmesseduplive.com. Just in case you are a newer listener or something and you're just joining in like recently and you don't really know what our live shows are, they are, we recap an episode that is, will probably never be done on the podcast. We've had like one exception so far. Probably never be done on the podcast because it's not based on anything. We do like little games, trivia, all kinds of things. It's, uh, you can bring people that are not into SVU because it's like, a fu- it's more of a funny comedy show than um, we don't do a deep dive into a real crime to make you sad. <laughs> no, not at all. And yeah. we wish you um, an enjoyable, content New Year's. You know, just like, I hope you get to do whatever you want, whether it's chilling or out in a crowd. And um, yeah, New Year's is one of my faves. So I hope you get to Happy New Year to all of you. And um, yeah, let's get the episode started. This is an amazing, an amazing two-header, a double-header, as we say. And uh, you're going to love it. Okay, today is our first ever double episode. We've never covered two episodes in one uh, episode of the pod before. Uh, But we had to do it. But we had to do it, guys. We're giving you two episodes. It's one big story, so I'm going to try to condense it, and it's not going to take double the time. Uh, The episodes are Intersecting Lives and Heartfelt Passages. They are episodes 22 and 23, respectively, from season 17. So... We open on the precinct and tensions are high and everyone's gathered around a laptop because Carisi is waiting to get his bar exam results. And at first, like when they come down, he looks like he's pissed off and he's like, there's my number. And he's like mad. And then he realizes he's on the pass list. And so him and Amanda share a hug, which I'm sure has all the Releasey fans at the time um, sweating and screaming. Um, And Benson walks in and is like shocked that he passed. They're like, Carisi passed the bar. And Benson goes, huh? Carisi. Like, she can't believe it. And uh, she goes, does that mean you're leaving too? And they're all like, what are you talking about? Who's leaving? And it's Baby Dodds. Apparently, Baby Dodds is going to join Joint Terrorism Task Force or something. Uh, and that's, uh, that's, I guess, what he's always wanted because he did join up after 9-11. So he's a little wannabe hero, Baby Dodds. And um, so then Liv goes, Yep, it's his last week. And they're like, he just got here. And Liv goes, yeah, he's on his own journey. And uh, they're like, all right, well, Carisi passed. Let's party. And Liv's like, yeah, I'll take you guys all out to lunch. And Finn's like, can't do it. I have plans with my son, Ken. And so Dodds walks in and kind of feels everybody knows what's up. And and Finn goes, yo, man, terrorism, you could die. And Dodds just makes a face like he might have diarrhea and then walks out. Uh, and that is... Uh, that scene. And now we cut to a, a scene with Brad Garrett from Everybody Loves Raymond. We don't really know who he is yet, but he's a cop. Uh, we think he's in uniform. He's eating breakfast with his kids and his wife. And she's kind of annoyed that he's leaving early because she's like, aren't you taking the kids to school? And he's like, I got to work. They want me in early again. They need, I, we need the OT. You're the one that wanted to go to Disney. So here we go. We're going to obviously hear more about him. And then we cut to a lady walking down the street, having just like a nice New York walk. Like I am loving her energy. She's got a cig in one hand. She's got a drink in a paper bag in the other hand. It looks like it's a crisp, wintry New York day. And she's just hustling down the street, living her New York uh, fantasy. And her that actress, this actress's name is Crystal Joy Brown. And she is a Broadway baby. She's played Eliza in Hamilton. So... 
If you know, you know. So a Jeep pulls up alongside and calls out, Sharice, my favorite former inmate. You don't even have to know who it is. Who, you don't have to see who it is. Like, you can hear it's Brad Garrett. He has, like, such a distinct voice. And um, he's harassing her, and he's, like, telling her, like, oh, I could, is that, a, is that an alcoholic beverage? I could call it in. I could, get, I could frisk you. And he tells her to get in the car. So she gets in the car, and he's got his hand on her bare knee. And, uh-oh, everybody does not love this man. He is not good. And now we cut to Finn having lunch with his son. And Finn goes, this menu's crazy. And then we never hear another fucking word about the menu. And it's made me laugh so much. I was like, what's crazy? The prices? What they're offering? What is it? And uh, Finn's like, I hope this isn't another setup. And I like, well, I wrote down, I wish we could have seen that. But I think actually... I read what episode they tried to set him up with somebody, but I don't know if we actually saw the date. But it was with, um, it was Ken and Alejandro, his partner, are trying to set up Finn with someone. And Ken's like, no, 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 it's not about that. Um, I want, I have some big news for you. And he's like, oh, are you going to finally get out of that halfway house? Because he's a social worker and he works at a halfway house. And Ken's like, no, big news is that me and Alejandro are having a baby via surrogate. It's a boy. You're going to be a grandpa. And he's like, excited. Finn's happy. He's like, all right, it's but he's sweet. calling me Finn. I'm not doing any of this grandpa bullshit. And he's pumped and it's really cute. And he's like, everybody's having babies. I want to show some pictures and it's really cute. So then Ken gets a call on his phone and it is Sharice. So clearly she is staying at the halfway house where Ken is a social worker and she, we, we're, we're cutting back and forth to footage of her and she's walking down the street like makeup smeared, like looking really traumatized and she says, my CEO from Rikers, Gary, just raped me. And then Ken tells Finn and Finn's like, I'm going to call Liv. So obviously, this is one of those episodes where a personal connection to the squad is what gets them all hooked into this big case. So at the hospital, we find out that uh, Brad Garrett, a.k.a. Gary Munson, is the and CEO. What a gross last name. Sorry if there's any Munsons, but it just sounds like you're not doing good stuff. Well, I think it's because it sounds like Manson, and it also sounds like Munster. For me, it's the Munster more yeah. than the yeah, because I didn't even think of the Manson connect, but the Mun yeah Munster, but the Munsters were cute. <laughs> yeah, the know? Munsters were cute. <laughs> so I think it's just this guy sucks too. Uh, he's bringing a bad vibe to the name Munson, and he yeah maybe it's just him. It's <laughs> totally fine. They also we talk about this later in the episode, but they do say the name a lot of times. So we find out that Gary Munson from Everybody Loves Raymond, Barrett, Brad Garrett, is actually not a cop. He's a corrections officer. And he has been assaulting Sharice and forcing her to give him blowjobs for a long time. But today it went further. He hit her and he raped her. And um, she's like, this has been happening once a week since I got out. And he also used to do it in Rikers in the chapel. She's like, yeah, I mean, this is just kind of how like things go. You do me a favor, I'll do you one. Like if I do this stuff for him, he lets me see my kids. He lets me avoid getting strip searched, getting sent to solitary, getting my teeth knocked in. And, um, you know, we've seen all of this play out in like Orange is the New Black and, and other, you know, SVU episodes and stuff. And she didn't report it because CEOs and gangs run Rikers. So she's like, you know, he told her, cry all you want, but you're just a broke black crack whore. Who's going to believe you? And Liv's like, I do. I believe you. And she's like, I got to go. Like, you seem like too much like you believe in miracles. And I'm not. She's like, I shouldn't have called Ken. I know this isn't going to go anywhere. And we go to the credits. And so... 
Now, we're getting the lowdown on who Gary Munson is. He's been a CEO at Rikers for 17 years. He's never had any charges against him, but he puts in for a lot of overtime. His father-in-law is deputy is the deputy inspector in Queens. And I got to tell you guys, I meant to look it up, but I didn't. I don't know what that means, but it's somebody high up in like the cops in Queens. And that's his, um, wife, his wife's father. And so apparently Gary failed the police exam. And the second time he failed it, the father-in-law pulled strings, got him into the Department of Corrections, and now he's had three complaints against him, but nothing has stuck. So I to said be no charge. too dumb to become a police officer. That must be pretty dumb. I wonder how hard the exam is. I mean, I'm Not sure there's hard. like a lot. I don't know. I bet there's a lot of shit you have to study for and know about a lot of random rules. Yeah, I don't know. I know a lot about sex in the city. Like, what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> you, you could pass could the driver's test. You would definitely pass the test to be a sex of the city tour guide. Um, so Barba is like, they're telling Barba what the deal is with Gary. And they're, he's like, yeah, nothing sticks at Rikers. Like their, their corrections officer union is super strong. And listen, Sharice has 12 arrests. They're all misdemeanors, drugs, like little things, but... She doesn't exactly come across. There are no perfect victims, but she doesn't come across as the perfect victim for for Barbara's purposes. But it's also like, but yeah, that's exactly why they pick people like this. Like that's why predators pick people that they think no one will believe, you know. Um, and so I, I, in all my notes, I keep calling him Baby D because I'm talking about Baby Dodd so much. So Baby D suggests looking into what's happening on the inside at Rikers, and Barbara's like, no, Rikers is like Lord of the. But flies. I love that you won't take out Baby. We could just call him Dodds too. But, but then Big Dodds comes in later. You're right. You're and then right. what am I going to do? Funny. <laughs> it's just funny that the baby took precedence over the name. <laughs> baby D. He is a baby. So Baby D suggests, why don't we look into what's going on inside Rikers? And Barbara's like, no, Rikers is Lord of the Flies. There's so many complaints. There are no charges. Like, you're never going to, like, this is never going to work this way. Don't sniff around or Munson will also find out that you're out, you're on to him. And so Liv's like, okay, Liv always has like a fucking amazingly thought out plan just right in the back of her mind that just comes right up. And she's like, okay, let's pretend this is a well, gang that, investigation. Well, that comes from experience. That's yes. experience, you know? Yes, of course. She's like, let's pretend this is a gang investigation uh, with sex trafficking involved. And that's why SVU is involved. And we'll act like we need the CEO's help to like give us info. And we hope that they will not realize that Munson's the target. And, uh, you know, Ben Barbara's like, okay, yeah, give that a shot. So now at Rikers, Finn and Baby D are teamed up and then Relisi is teamed up. And Relisi talks to a female CEO about someone named Monique. And she tells them that all these women are working something. And when they ask her about this fake trafficking gang story, like she goes, yeah, that makes sense. They'd sell their own sisters for a score. These, the women that are in this prison, she's really talking shit. And then Finn and Dodds are talking to Munson and he's reading off the charges of all these women, like prostitution, this and that. Like, and he's like a bunch of real ladies. So you're getting a lot of judgment about the women that are incarcerated uh, in this episode from the characters. And he says he wouldn't be surprised if there were gang connects, but if he heard anything about that, he'd go straight to the warden. He's like, I'm tough. I don't let shit slide. And the ladies are always trying to work him with their big eyes and their tears. So then they're on their way out and Munson's like, oh, your dad's chief Dodds. My father-in-law knows him. And baby Dodds is like, cool. And then like just leaves. Like it's like, it's a subtle moment, but it's like Dodds is giving him no respect. And you can tell that this is a fucking asshole man who, who demands respect without doing anything to command it. And like he is, you could just tell that like would have needled him. 
Yeah, so now, but Dodds, you have a job to do. So butter him up. He's yeah. Trying to get info. Yeah, be like, so oh, my father-in-law. Yeah, great. Like Dodds doesn't really get that shit yet. God, yeah. Dodds isn't going to kiss Dale Stuckey to save her, his partner. Do you know what I mean? He's just not yeah. there yet. He's not an Olivia Benson level. So now um, we're checking out surveillance tapes from outside the chapel at Rikers and we see Munson leading Sharice into the chapel and the female guard that they were just talking to earlier, uh, she is there. Her name is Arita and she's standing outside keeping watch. And we also, we see a bunch of tape of him leading all these other female inmates into the chapel. And unfortunately, Rikers is out of the jurisdiction of the SVU, but Sharice's rape happened in Manhattan. So they kind of have to like stick to that. At this moment, they find out Sharice was arrested again. So we see a little moment of Munson greeting her and going, you just can't get enough of me. See you tomorrow. Like a gross fucking predator that he is. So at the top of Act 2, Carisi and Dodds are talking to Munson and they're planting this idea with him that Sharice's boyfriend is, a, is in a gang and that they have been known for trick-rolling guys, which we've seen before on the show as like, you know... She pretends she's going to uh, sleep with a guy do for sex work or whatever, and then he probably comes in with a gun, robs them, and then they bounce. So that's the, the trick roll of it all. And Munson keeps telling them, yeah, Sharice is a liar. Anything that comes out of her mouth is a lie. Stop looking into her. Anything you want to look into her with her is a dead end. Like, you know, like she's not going to help you and she's just going to lie to you. So, you know, clearly he's trying to like defame her in case anything ever did come up. And so now Sharice is talking to Liv and Rollins and she says, Munson did this. He tells me to keep my mouth shut except for when it's like blowing him in the chapel. And they offer to move her out of Rikers and she's like, he knows where I live. He knows where my mom lives and where my daughters live. And he said, and she said, me and my boyfriend were just walking down the street and we were randomly stopped by NYPD. We were frisked and searched. My boyfriend had one joint on him. And she's like, I tried to record it and more cops came out of nowhere. They cuffed me. She didn't even know why she was under arrest. And then they threw her in the car and they threw her phone out the window. Rude. And I don't think that's part of what the cops are supposed to be doing. And Liv is like, all right, let's find that phone. And Sharice is like, look, this is pointless. Like this guy owns my ass. And Liv says, no, he is not going to get away with this. And Barba and uh, Baby Dodds are watching through the one-way glass. And Barba's like, so at best we have a legal search here for them? Like we don't really have a lot. And Carisi's like, wait, we caught a break. We got security cam footage from a bodega that got the whole arrest. And the tape does show cops coming out of nowhere. Some of them are plain clothes and uh, they have no probable cause. Sharice and her boyfriend are just walking down the street. Barbara goes, okay, find out if these five officers are connected to Munson. And then Liv says, Sharice and her boyfriend are both at Rikers and they are not safe. And Barbara's like, well, I can't drop the charges because it'll it'll make it look like we're favoring Sharice and like looking out for her. And of course, uh, her bail is $5,000, no bond. And that might as well be 500,000. And like the cash bond bail system is so fucked up. Like, of course, she's not gonna be able to come up with 500,000 or $5,000. And um, Barbara's like, okay, I can reduce her bail. That, that I can do. And they're like, what about these three other women? They could be in danger if Munson's already figured out that we're on to him. So he's like, all right, I'm going to try to reduce their bail as well. So now we're at a bail, bail hearing and Barbara gets a bunch of women out of Rikers by lowering their bail or getting them ROR'd. It's just like, a, it's like a clip, clip, clip scene of a bunch of women going, what's going on? And then they just get out of jail. And then when, when they have them in the precinct talking to them, one of the girls like, oh, this is all about Munson? Fuck this. I am not testifying against him. That's just the cost of doing business at Rikers. And then Rollins is like, well... Enduring rape does not have to be a survival tool. And the woman goes, really, Elsa? And it's so funny because Rollins looks like fucking Elsa. It's perfect. And um, 
She's like, when was the last time you were in jail? Like, she's like, you don't know shit about how things work in there. And none of these women feel like they can go up against a CEO. They don't want to get physically hurt. Their friends and family will get hurt. She's like, I got, one of the girls goes, I have friends on the inside. They're going to hurt my friends on the inside if I turn on them. Like, it never ends, like the abuse of power. And Barbara's like, this is a waste of time. And this is like a real, we got to get Barbara to want, want to want it in this episode. And uh, Liv's like, well, we still have Sharice and Finn... Uh, is like, well, we actually don't. Ken just told me that she's AWOL. So now we cut to a playground where Sharice is hugging her daughters and telling them, be good for grandma so we can kind of tell she's about to blow town. And Finn and Liv show up and are like, if you run out on your bail, you'll lose your kids forever. And she's like, well, they'll be better off. And she's like, this shit is a dead end. What do you guys want? And Sharice doesn't give a fuck about any of it. Like, because Liv is like, I understand. She's like, Sharice is like, I don't give a shit about you. I don't give a shit about him. I don't even give a shit about myself. Like all she cares about is her daughters. And she's like, and lives like, okay, well then I will prey upon your maternal instincts. You don't want those girls to think that there's no chance or do you want them to see you fight? And so that kind of, we see that kind of getting to Sharice a little bit. So now we see her on the curb. Munson pulls up and he goes, hey, skank, who do you think you are calling me? And like we can tell that she's wired and they they have audio and visuals. We see Benson and Finn. It's just like, dude, we have to rush that. Like, why can't we just, if she, if he does this once a week anyways, like, why not just wait for the normal time? Like, I don't really like that they I guess switched he, it up he, on her. But he might do it at different times. You're right. He does do it every Friday, we find out later. So. Yeah, so it's like, why did they, uh, they had to do it today and have her call? Just like, wait till Friday. Like, yeah, he's been doing this for years. I think that tipped him off. She doesn't call yeah. him, you know? Yeah, she doesn't want to see him. Yeah. Benson and Finn are in a van listening in to what's going on because, like, Sharice is all wired up and everything. And she starts coming on to Munson, like, pretty hard. Like, hey, why don't we get in the car, you know? And he's like, no, let's go for a walk. And he starts pushing her down the street. And it's, like, a little bit scary because where are they going? And um, he's judging her for getting arrested again. And is like, you just ratted on your boyfriend to get yourself out. And she's like, yeah, that's the favor I wanted. Maybe if I help you out, you can help my boyfriend. And Munson, like, forces her into this, like, abandoned house that's under construction, like a basement apartment. And he pushes her against a wall. He has a gun on her. And he's like, I'm a married man. And Liv's like, she's blown. Like, he knows she's wired. Let's move in. And Gary's like being really menacing. He's got the gun pressed up against her and the wall. And then, um, but he's got his like full pelvis against her. Like he's trying to, like he might be, like he's trying to rape her again. And so then Sharice uses the safe word, which is home and lives like, Finn, go, 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 go. So they go in and when they enter, he's still pinning her against the wall. And he's like, hold on, I'm on the job. But he's like zipping up his fly. And Finn goes, you're not on my job. And they cuff him and arrest him for attempted rape. And he's like, of this whore, like it's so like gross how he's like, these women are good enough to like have sexual like encounters with, but like they can't have like an ounce of respect outside of that. And he's just so gross. And he's verbally harassing Sharice on the way out. Also trying to make like, bad- you're a rapist. Where the fuck do you get off, bro? That's wait, that that's written in my notes like 10 more times going down the line. <laughs> like it's so crazy. He's like, uh, I she was trying to bribe me. I only went along with it to see how far she would go. And then he's like verbally harassing Sharice on the way out, saying more shit to her. And then he's also trying to make Dodds feel stupid for having a female boss. And baby Dodds, like, yeah, who's your one phone call? Is it gonna be your wife or your father-in-law? Like, just to get him again for like you're kind of nobody and you got it. You're even only you only have this job because of your father. Father in law. I and, don't think um, I noticed all these little jabs throughout. I really didn't. Well, yeah, and it comes full 
circle later, I think, too. Well, I know, but now it's yeah. all like, oh, I didn't, I, this all went over my head, all these little moments yeah, yeah, of yeah. disrespect. Yeah. Cause it's like, this guy's not an incel, he, but he's like, like almost has a similar, like, no, uh, incel is no, definitely, it, but, this is a classic domestic abuser, misogynist. But a narcissist who thinks that women owe him something and he has like a Madonna and a whore complex where like yeah. his wife is probably like a great woman, but all these other women are whores and like bad girl, like, you know, when he's looking at their rap sheets and it's like a bunch of ladies and it's like, I don't know, if selling drugs to feel your family, feed your family, does that not make you a lady? Like, it's just really wild. Um, and... So now at the DA's office, it's Barba and Liv talking to Munson and his lawyer and this union rep who advised, they're both like, we advise that he not even be here. So like, wow, what a what a big guy for even coming in for questioning. His rep and his lawyers are like, Sharice just wants to sue the city. He was just trying to give her the benefit of the doubt. And Barba's like, if you plead guilty to one count of attempted rape, we won't go after you for the Rikers assaults. And the lawyer's like, he's got nothing or he wouldn't make that offer. And the union rep is trying to big time Barba. And it's like, Sir, do you know who you're dealing with? This man goes skiing in Switzerland. Like, don't try to have a pissing contest with Barba. He's just trying to act like you do not want to go up against our union. So it's very mob boss-ish. Um, at arraignment, Munson pleads not guilty and Barba asks for remand. And he says, Munson's a serial predator. And his lawyer says, he's the one being victimized here. So the judge sets the bail at $200,000. And the wife is in the courtroom and she's like, we don't have that kind of money. And the union rep is like, we look out for our own. So it's like they have this union of people that are ba helping bail each other about, like, bail these guys out for doing bad shit. It's kind of wild. And the wife goes in on Olivia and she's like, you set him up. This is entrapment. And you can kind of tell she's probably got as much knowledge of law as like we do because of her dad's in like, it's like people ask me medical questions because my mom's a doctor and I'm like, I don't know, but she thinks she knows. <laughs> I know. Everyone's always asking me about school bus driving. They're like, what do you know? What do you know about those school How bus rules? How does it work? And uh, she's super pissed off at Liv. She's like, my husband's a good man and a good father, and how dare you? Like, and okay, so... At the precinct, the gang is trying to get all their ducks in a row. They're like, look, Munson, there was no evidence in his car. He had just had it detailed, which explains why he didn't want Sharice to get into the car. He turns off the GPS going to and from work. He pays cash at all the tolls. So he's smart. He like fucking knows what he's doing and he keeps it like traceless when he goes to accost these women. They find out they have one possible lead. Every Friday, it looks like he comes into Manhattan and Baby Dodds is like, I pulled some strings with my new friends at the anti-terrorism unit and Sharice Sharice's halfway house happens to be near a mosque. So obviously we're monitoring it because mosques have terrorists, like whatever, it's fucked up. And so uh, there are apparently license plate readers around that mosque and Munson has been detouring through Manhattan to right by Sharice's halfway house every Friday. And that is a full pretzel. It's not a shortcut to Rikers. So like Lisa was wondering how you get to Rikers. It is not through Manhattan if you live where he lives. So, Well, girl, last time I landed in New York, um, my drive from LaGuardia to Sunset Park was two hours. No. What happened? Yeah. And was it like Manhattan. five o'clock? It wasn't an ideal time, but I was a little... No, it was like two, three. It was like three o'clock. I actually texted you because thank goodness, you know, all of you are so kind to me and someone in Detroit gifted us um, a joint and I took it, but I couldn't open the the top. And so Kara kept having to open it. It was like a hefty, thick ass, like with a plastic holder. And, but 
I ran into a comic who opened it for me. So I got to get high <laughs> before my car trip. Yeah. And it said it wouldn't be that bad, but we went th- from Brooklyn to Manhattan up and then back into Brooklyn. Or from Queens, no. Manhattan up into Brooklyn. And they actually charged me less because I accepted the ride for way more money. And I think because it took two hours, I got a discount. I hope they pay the driver still though. Like not you, well, and but I like Uber. Probably off the main. I wonder what I tipped. But yeah, it was like, I was quoted $104, which is also insane. Also insane. Because LaGuardia <laughs> to other parts of Brooklyn is supposed to only be like 20, 30 minutes. Like that's the oh, whole yeah. beauty of LaGuardia. Anyway, this is New well, York yeah, inside stay, bullshit. <laughs> I'm going to stay in Williamsburg before my next flight because it is like a sexy 20 minute drive. 22 minutes tops. Like I So love many it. bridges, so many ways. <laughs> um, so Barba is like getting pumped. Okay. He's like, all right, all right. Like we see like the wheels start turning where now Barba, once he gets a little fire lit under him, he'll go. And he's like, all right, it's not a slam dunk, but that's a solid lead. Let's keep digging. And then they're like, uh, Liv's like, he used a condom with Sharice, but we didn't find any in the car. Maybe at home. Is that enough for a warrant? And it's like, what? Is that enough for a warrant to like, just be like, well, he used a condom. So the condoms must be somewhere. Let's get a warrant to check for condoms. Like that cannot be how warrants work, but maybe that no. it is. Um, it seems thin as fuck to me in terms of probable cause for a warrant, but Barba might try to find a judge who isn't scared to tango with the CO union. And so now it turns out they did because we are at the Munson's house and they're doing a search and lives like, to the mom, like, you should probably take the kids out of the house. And she's, like, still riding for her ogre husband and says, <laughs> when my daddy finds out about this, you'll all be on traffic detail. And it's like, bitch, she's a lieutenant. You better not. Like, what do you think? Like, even if she is doing something wrong, she's not going to traffic detail. She's fucking high up. And so Liv gently tells her, like, hey, bitch, you need to get tested for HIV and STDs because, like, your husband is reckless. And she's like, go to hell. And Liv's like, sure, I would love to go to hell, but just do it, bitch. And um, that's how that little interaction ends. And then Munson is pissed and he's telling them that everyone is going to back him up if you talk to his coworkers. He's like, I'm a good, I'm good at my job and whatever. And then we see a super insanely photoshopped photo of of the Munson couple on a Hawaiian vacation with the female guard, Arita, and her partner. And it's (laughs) truly like they're standing in front of like, I'm obsessed with like the photos that they show for like, cause it's like you are on a show right now where they took real photos of you and hang them around the house. And it's like- Which is a joy. When I got that email, I think I was with you. And I was like, oh my God. I was like so happy that my photos are all across the- uh yeah, like I saw one of them and I was Perfect. like, is that for my birthday? Like, I feel like I'm on the show now because one of the yeah. photos on the fridge is Lisa at my birthday. <laughs> anyway, like- it's just so photoshopped and hilarious. If you didn't take a look at it, I'll try to put a screenshot on the on the Insta or just go back and look at it. It, it. It reminds me of an avatar. They also are in another vacation photo that is so photoshopped and fake. Um, and I just thought SVU would have like more of a budget for that kind of thing. You know, now my new personality is going to be euphoria for a few weeks. And <laughs> I watched like a behind the scenes thing of Sydney Sweeney, like doing a tour of the set. And in the, her house, she's like, oh, and here's photos of me from my hometown, like at my farm and this and that. And I was just like, oh, obsessed. Yeah. I do really like those little details. But yeah, whatever. Fuck this guy. Fuck. Yeah. Shit. What's her name? So we so from this bad photo, we can tell that Arita and Munson are real tight, right? They vacation together like fuck, okay? So now we're talking to her, Arita, and she's they're showing her a video of her keeping lookout while Munson's doing his chapel games. And she claims she has no idea what he's doing in there. And the union rep is there as well. And he's like being a slime ball. 
And Liv's like, oh, okay, well, how about these time cards? Like, you're getting a lot of OT. And Arita's like, no offense to my rep, but I think I need a lawyer now. And Liv's like, um, yeah, your phone won't work in here. Let me walk you to a hotspot. And so I guess the hotspot is the break room because when Arita gets off the phone in the break room, Liv kind of goes in there and is like pulling her tricks. And she's like, once your lawyer gets here, I can't help you, et cetera, et cetera. And Liv's like, I'm not here for time card violations. It's just leverage for us. And she's like, so what do you want from me? And she's like, you know Munson is a rapist and you're his lookout. Out. And I, I understand being like a female in a male-dominated world and getting talked into doing some bad shit, but then to go on vacation together? What's going on, Arita? Liv goes, I know how this works. Yeah, but maybe it's because of her disdain for these like prostitutes. You know, she's very yeah, like rude she, about well, them too. Well, that's the thing too. That's why I brought it up when she goes, they'd sell their sister for a score. And it's like, what are you doing? You're selling out all these women getting attacked so that you can not work on Thanksgiving? Come on. Like, cause Liv goes, I know how it works, girl. Like you guys cover each other. So no doubles, no holidays, plenty of OT. And then she goes, who's going to look after your kids when you're in jail? And that is when Arita breaks and starts spilling. And she's like, I leave early every Sunday. My mom is sick. Gary also has a sick, sick mom. And they're like, he does. And she's like, well, he leaves at six every day. So I just assume it's for a sick mom. And, uh, or he leaves at six uh, every Sunday. And so Liv's like, I'm going to need more than that, like leaving early bullshit. And so she tells Liv, a big piece of information, which is that one of Munson's frequent flyers, Della Carter, has a sister on the outside. He saw her during a visit. He wanted her. He got her. So that's a person that's not inside and that could be in their jurisdiction as well. We'll see. So at an apartment, now at an apartment door, a cute little boy opens the door and he goes, cops? And I love that he knows what's up and he knows what a cop looks like. It's, it's Rollins and Finn. And... So her name on the title card and on the fandom and everywhere is called, is Leanne Carter. But Finn goes, Lene Carter. And so I don't know what her real name is, but it's... Dude, that was I, Finn. That was fucking Finn. That's I icy. feel like Finn just said Lene. And so now it's Lene. And I don't know what to call him for her for the rest of this, but... Well, I'm I think also she'll just be- imagining Ice on set doing that. I just like love that, that he just like fully kind of yeah. upped the flair of the name. And that like... The show, when they were doing the edit, should have just been like, let's change your name to Lene. Who cares? Like, she should just be Lene now because now she's like on IMDb as Le- Leanne and and the title card says Leanne. I, I checked three times because I was like, wait, didn't they just say her name was Leanne? Anyway, so uh, I did find a fuck up and she admits that they're like, so Gary Munson, and because at first she's like, oh my God, is my sister okay? Is she dead? And they're like, no, no, we're here to talk about Gary Munson. Has he been around lately? And she's like, yeah, he has. So we cut to Lene testifying to the grand jury that Gary Munson came to her apartment every Sunday night, knowing her son was asleep in the next room, he would sexually assault her, and she never reported it because her sister is in Rikers for a nine-month bid, and he said if she did him this, like, quote-unquote favor, Della wouldn't get strip searched, thrown in solitary, you know, and have a generally bad time at Rikers. So now Sharice, we cut to Sharice's testimony in front of the, the grand jury, and she's talking about all of Munson's crimes against her. And now Arita is testifying that she guarded the chapel door while he brought in at least six to seven women into the chapel and that he had frequent flyers, but he'd also change it up if new people came in. So this guy probably has dozens of fucking victims. Like, it's not just like a few girls. My thing is, if they're both leaving Sunday nights, who's covering who? Like, they both seem to be running off on Sundays. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I'm like, there must be another person in the game. or They work that out with some another couple or something of, of, of buddies. I don't know. 
Arita also mentions that they get OT for their Sunday nights or whatever. And now Mrs. Munson is testifying and she's like, no, my husband works hard. He loves me and uh, we have a healthy sex life. And it's like, bitch, it's never because you're not giving your husband enough sex. It's because he likes power over women that he thinks are not worth it or like not, not, you know, like that's what he likes. So she testifies that Sunday he was always home a little bit after 10 and that Barbara shows the footage of him punching out around six. And she's like, uh, maybe our son was sick that week. And she's like, I mean, Barbara. And Barbara's like, bitch, I have footage from the next six Sundays. So don't like save the bullshit. And, she's start- and that's when she starts to realize something's up. Like your husband's been coming home four hours after clocking out of work every Sunday. Where is he? Like it's not doing fantasy football. Um, and Barbara tells Liv and baby Dodds that it's looking good for an indictment. And um, they're like, oh my God, his poor wife. Like he didn't even give her a heads up like about the overtime or like anything. Like, hey, when you go on, when you go up there, they're gonna like, they're gonna know some stuff about me leaving early from work. And it's because of this. Like at least come up with a lie. Don't make her look stupid in front of the grand jury. So Munson's out on bail and he apparently surrendered his service weapon and his passport. And then Barba also like half jokes to the detectives, like, well, when the indictment comes through, I'm going to need a police escort out of this building because I guess, you know, there's all this... um, Well, we find out why because the cuts to the next shot, we're outside the courthouse and we're on the steps and Munson's lawyer is basically holding a Blue Lives Matter fucking press conference and there's a fucker right in center frame wearing one of those damn thin blue line flags on a sweatshirt, which I hate more than anything. It's like every pickup truck in LA is has one of those on there and it's like all these people act like the American flag is so important and then you guys are allowed to just change it and make it into your own little flag. Like, fuck you. I hate that. And he's uh, he's calling the inmates at Rikers the this city's lowest forms of life. That's what the lawyer is saying about these alleged victims that uh, they are the city's lowest forms of life. And it's like that. It's so uh, it so grosses me out. So the union rep and a bunch of COs step to Barba and Liv and Dodds, and they're like, "You want a war, Barba? You got it." And the rep is like, "But you it's don't like even- it's just crazy. Why would you stick up for this guy?" I know. I know. Like he's well, making all is, of you look bad. Like, why don't you just go, oh, he's not one of us. One bad apple. Give the one bad apple thing and move It's on. like but, insane how much they're willing to risk on this low life. Because I don't, I think they, I think they might think he didn't do it at the point where it's just Sharice. But now it's like, we've got this other girl, like, come on, it's like fucked up. And the reps, are, the rep is like, you don't even get how hard this job is. They get the shit kicked out of them by these inmates. But if they lay a hand on an inmate, they get written up. And it's like, what are yes. you talking about? We've already heard about how when you get written up, nothing happens. They're like little slaps on the wrists. Like, no, this man has had zero charges and he's been sexually assaulting women for what seems like years. Like, But also, yes, if you're a teacher and a student hits you, that is different than you hitting a student. Yeah. Like, I don't understand. Everything is lost on these people. Like, these yeah. are... Of course you fucking failed the police exam. Like, yeah, you're going to get Molotov cocktails thrown at you. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> And they're like, you count on these guys to put their life on the line for you. It's not going to happen anymore. They're like, yeah, like you want a prisoner safely escorted to testify at court. Good luck with that when you have like the 
corrections officers union like against you, blah, blah, blah. So then they all walk away and some little dude with bad facial hair is all up in Barba's face. And he's like, oh, what's up, Barba? We know some, you don't know me, but we know some shit about you and it's some shit you don't want getting out. And Barba's like fully calling this guy's bluff. And he's like, okay. Uh, he's like, you're going to push me down the stairs in front of all these people. Like, I really love Barba. He's so fun in this scene. And uh, the guy's trying to act really tough and Barba's like not falling for it. And he's like, okay, amiguito, why don't you take my home address and um, come by anytime you want. And he gets like really close up in his face and it's funny. And he said, and then um, this guy goes away and then Liv and Dodds walk up and Barbara's like, well, I just had a death threat. And he's like, you guys all better watch your backs. This is just the beginning. And um, we zoom out of the courthouse and it's a to be continued. And now we open on the next episode. Now we're on heartfelt passages. We open in court with Barbara talking to the judge and Munson's there and the judge reviews that he's being charged with nine counts of rape and one count of attempted rape. But then the grand jury has also added 15 counts of forcible touching and 28 counts of sodomy. And they do that camera angle on Munson, like what they kind of did on like... um, um, Josh Payas when he was in Downloaded Child or whatever, like they kind of did, is that what the one he was, or no, no, he was in not Downloaded Child, another child pornography one where he was like, like you just see the it's look like, on their face where it's, it's so many word? charges. Like when other people are affected. Collateral like, damages. Oh, yeah. The yeah. episode is collateral damages where they just like, they do a camera, like it's sort of like a low angle on them looking straight ahead and you can just see that like their life is over and they're, but they're still pleading not guilty, but all these charges are like, it's going to be too much to beat. And then his wife is behind him in the galley and she looks dead in the eyes. And then they ask for remand because he, but since he has ties to the community and a family, the judge doesn't see the need for remand, but he increases the bail to 500,000. And it's like, okay, does the, the union's going to put up more money for that? Which I guess would be 50K. Um, but still, in the bathroom, Liv runs into Mrs. Munson. And now now she, and Liv's like, let me get out of your way because she does not want beef with this woman. And the woman's like, no, no, I need your help now. She's like, I'm really scared that Larry, that Gary's going to get out on bail. And she's like, and you don't want him to get out? And she's like, well, I got the STD test that you mentioned. And doesn't sound like she got any good news. And she's like, I called a divorce lawyer immediately. Gary doesn't know I've done that, but I need to get my kids out of there. And Liv's like, okay, does he have any guns in the house? And the wife says, no, you took his service weapon and I've searched. There are no other weapons in the house except for his temper. And like, so now we get an idea that like, whatever she's been trying to portray to the world or to the courts about her husband is not true. So she, Liv says, you should get out of the house before he comes back. And she's like, here's my card. You have any problems, give me a call. And so now we're at Baby Dodds's truly hokey little going away party at SVU. There's like a handmade poster and a grocery store cake that, you know, he was only on for one season and they were just kind of like, we can't really do a full bar thing like we did for Munch. And so um, Rollins is like, you know, you really grew on me. And Finn's like, wow, thanks Dodds. Now I got to take the sergeant's exam, you asshole. Like, so they're all having like a little fun time. And then Liv gets a call from Lisa Munson, uh, Gary's wife. And she's like, Gary's in the house and I'm not sure how to do this. And it's like, she's wildly making a call with him right on the other side of the wall. Like she's not even in the kitchen huddling. She's just like, he's on the other side of the wall. Like not even in her bedroom. Yeah, that was a weird choice on her part. Yeah. 
And she's maybe because she wants to keep an eye on him and the kids at the same time. So she doesn't want to like go too far. I don't know. But he's drinking a beer. So you get a sense like alcohol never makes any situation like this better. And um, Liv offers to come and help get her out of there. And they, she walks up to the party of people and goes, we need to do a clothes job. Is she saying clothes job or clothes like clothing? I think it's clothing. I think it's like you pack a bag and you go. I think it's a clothes job, but tell us if you're a cop. So they all offer to go with Liv. They're like, I'll go with you. I'll go with you. And baby Dodds is like, let me go. And they're like, it's your last day, bro. Why are you always trying to be a hero? And he's like, no, this kind of guy, if he sees a sergeant and a lieutenant, he'll listen. And Liv doesn't want to admit it, but she's she does admit that he's completely right. So at the Munson house, Gary's drinking beers and getting aggressive. He confronts his wife about the phone call, grabs her arm. He's like, you're not going to leave me, are you? Like, and he knows about the divorce lawyer. And now we're at the house and um, they're not answering. They're not answering. And then finally, Lisa comes to the door with Gary behind her and she looks very uncomfortable. And she's like, um, I overreacted and we are all good here. And it's like very clear that she's terrified and that this isn't true. And so Liv and baby Dodds are like, okay, well, why don't we just come in and check it all out. And now we're back at court for a second where Munson's lawyer and the union rep, these two fucking guys that have just been in Barba's grill the whole time, are like, you don't want to go through with this, Barba. And he's like, oh, that sounds like a threat. And they're like, how about two counts of criminal sexual acts in the third degree? And they're like, and Barbara goes, he'll do what, a year, year and a half of time? No. And the union rep is like, these women are coming on to him. And Barbara's like, bitch, there's no consent. They are inmates. Like, there no consent can be offered. So he's like, do you think the jury is going to look at these junkies and then look at him and believe that? And it's like, do you think he's some kind of like unimpeachable God? Like if I were on a jury, I'd be like, oh, this six foot eight goon. Yeah, I would absolutely believe it. Um, and he says, and he goes, these women won't even show up to court. Just watch. They never show up to their court dates. And Barbara's like, whatever, dudes, your guy's going down and he's going to go on the registry. Check you later. And he bounces right out of there. And then back at the Menson house, shit seems extremely tense. Liv is like small talking with the kids about Star Star Wars in the kitchen <laughs> in the kitchen with baby Dodds Munson is like you guys ruined my career and you turned my wife against me and it's like zero accountability that he's a rapist like none at all like just the way that these guys think that the world is against them he thinks they're hel- sh- that he's being helpful. I'm sure he's like, yeah. oh, you know, they need favors and I need a favor. You know, I'm helping yeah. these women. I care right. about them. Right. And Dodds is like kind of trying to calm him down. And he's like, he brings up the kids and he's like, we, and we kind of think everything could be chill because this guy does love his kids. He's like, no matter what you say about me, I love my kids or whatever. It's like, okay. And so now Bar- now we're f- back and forth. So I'm actually like, really don't like the side plot with Barba. I don't care about it, but I'm going to have yeah. to obviously keep recapping it for you. So now Barba's in the elevator. comes of it. Because there's I one know. time where someone threatens him, but then they have information of him like, Paying off someone or having yeah, a baby. He's I don't remember. With a guy who's running yeah. from it. Like, D- yeah, it's like all this like stuff from his childhood. But this one, it's like nothing actually ends up happening. Right. And like I don't believe this guy. This little guy like doesn't seem scary to me that he's actually gonna hurt Barba. So now Barba's in the elevator by himself, and the same little annoying douche guy from the from the last episode gets into the elevator and they're alone and he tries to be all threatening. And and Barba's like looking for where to grab the alarm button or whatever. And he's like, that's not gonna help you when there's a bullet coming for you. So the guy now makes a more pointed threat that he's gonna get shot. And when the Doors open, the guy takes off, and Barba tells a bunch of cops to get his ass. And it's like, can you not get Barba at a bodega? Why are you <laughs> like talking to him in a like fucking courthouse 
elevator with cameras and cops everywhere. So they're like, get the security footage. Okay, now back at the Munson house where the story is really what we want to be talking about. The kids are sad to leave their dad because they're going on a quote unquote little vacation and they have like a sad hug and it's like, but quick reminder, you are a rapist. Uh, And Liv rushes the kids out as things start to get kind of tense between Gary and Lisa. Like he's like, oh, nice jacket, Lisa. Is that the jacket I got you? And she's like, you want the fucking jacket, Gary? Here's the jacket. And then after the kids are gone and they're like out of the door, Gary pulls a fucking gun out gets Lisa in a headlock and points the gun at Dodds. And Dodds is like, uh, okay. And he's like, take out your weapon, take out your weapon. Dodds unloads his gun, puts it aside. And then he tells Dodds, just get out of here and let me work this out with my wife. And obviously hero Dodds is like, dog, you know, I can't do that. Like, I'm not going to walk out of here. And, you know, usually Liv, like, always blames herself for stuff and it's never her fault. And it's like, Liv, relax, stop making it about you. But this is all her fault. Yeah, it really they, is. That they she didn't search them. the place for a cop. Yeah. Like, all, like, sh- I just feel like she really fucked up in this one. And I never, yeah. I usually, I'm like, stop it, Olivia. It's not your fucking fault. You did your best. But here I'm like, you actually were, you got blinded yeah. by her texting. Like, you weren't doing stuff on protocol. Yeah. We can so, all make mistakes. The kids are like, where's my mom? And Liv's like, I'm going to go get her. And so she's knocking on the door and Dodds is, and like knocking and knocking and like no one's answering because it's like this standoff going on inside. And then Dodds is finally like, oh, we're not going to come out right now. And she is like, okay, let's all stop talking through a door. And so she calls Dodds. They put it on speaker. And she's like, I need you to let Dodds and Lisa out of there. And he's like, I'm sick of women telling me what to do. And it's like, There we go. There's the fucking crux of this loser man. He's like, my wife doesn't listen to me. Nobody listens to me. And it's like, you are a rapist. No one feels bad for you. I'm sorry. And he says, just get my kids somewhere safe. And then he tells Dodds to hang up the phone. Like when Liv says one more time, I'm going to need you to do this. It's weird that it's not safe for your kids around you, huh? Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. You're such a good guy, but the kids aren't safe near you. Okay. Yeah. So once again, he like tells Dodds to leave and Munson's like, you don't have to be a hero, but he obviously doesn't know baby Dodds and being a hero (laughs) is kind of his whole thing and he refuses to leave again. So in the boring subplot about Barba, they find the security (laughs) footage. Barba identifies the guy to release. Barba admits he's been getting harassing texts and calls for a year, like the whole year. And it started started after he indicted the cops who shot Terrence Reynolds. So it seems like there's a lot of law enforcement that's pissed at Barba for like prosecuting cops. And so um, Rollins is like, I'm calling Liv. And so when they call her, she's in the middle of a full fucking hostage crisis. Um, (laughs) Daddy Dodds arrives and Liv debriefs him. And he's like, you didn't search him? And she's like, I know, I fucked this up. I just took the wife's word for it that he didn't have any guns except for his service weapon, which he'd surrendered. And Dodds is... um, He's right. He goes, this guy's a CO. You know these guys always have more guns. Like, they're like men that just want to have guns. Like, they, he would absolutely have some kind of other weapon, whether it's like a fucked up knife or like, he's got something, you know? And so Lisa Munson's father shows up. We finally get to see the deputy, deputy inspector. I don't know what's different about him. He's wearing a white <laughs> shirt, but he's he's important. He does. He so, looks more like a fire department guy. He looks yeah, like a fire he looks like a fire chief. chief. Yeah, yeah, he totally does. Um, And so they're kind of stuck at the moment with this whole situation because there's no way to get a visual on them. If they ram the door open, they know that this guy's like, you know, he's got all these indictments against him. He's kind of at a rock bottom. He's got nothing to lose. Like, this is not the kind of guy that you ram the door in on. He's going to fucking shoot his wife. I'm also curious if... um he knows that her, his daughter's husband sucks. Like, did he, you know what oh, I mean? Oh, yeah, was, he doesn't like him. Okay. 
Yeah, they say that. They go, um, they say that the dad didn't help with the move out because they've had issues before. And that's why, like, that, and that, like, she thought it'd be better if he stayed away. And then he literally, he they said, like, are there any other weapons in the house? And the, the, the dad, go, the father-in-law goes, I wouldn't put it past this son of a bitch. Like, he does not like him. Yeah. So then Dodds is, like, back in the house. We're with Dodds. And he's like, Munson, you got to negotiate. Like, you know how this goes down. Like, we got to start figuring out, like, what you want to get out of here or whatever. And Lisa's like, I was wrong. We're all staying together. We're a family. I'm, like, just kidding. And she's like, I'm sorry for calling the divorce lawyer. She goes, I just didn't know what, I didn't know what to think. And he goes, you're my wife, I tell you what to think. So it's again, like the show is not even giving you any wiggle room to feel bad for this man at all. Like with, I think with Hank Abraham, I felt a little bad, but like this, I'm like, this is a fucking rapist who thinks women need to shut the fuck up and listen to what men say all the time. And so Dodds tries to talk to Munson. He tries to talk him down, but he's like spiraling. And this is where the tension between Munson and Dodds, I think, comes to a head. Because he's like, you're a golden boy. You want to go to college? It's just going to, you go wherever you want. Like, he's like, my dad couldn't get me on the job. And it's like, he's a classic narcissist. Like, no one listens to him. No one helps him. No one respects him, even though he doesn't do anything to earn any of these things, right? And so uh, he's like talking to him like, you and I are different. You're like a little golden boy and I'm not. And then he points the gun at Dodds and says, get the fuck out of here, last chance. And then he cocks the gun. Like he, he right? That's called cocking it. And then Dodds grabs no, I was shaking the- my head no because I'm mad, not because oh, uh, you no, said no, no. cocking the gun wrong. I didn't even see you shake your head. I just didn't uh, know if I, I was- I shaked it no, like, oh God. And you were like, oh, is this wrong? Like, I know what cocking no, the gun No, I didn't is. even see. I didn't even see. <laughs> so Dodds grabs the gun. There's a struggle and the gun goes off. And like, but we, we sort of see the gunshot a little bit before we cut right outside of the house and we see all the cops hear the gunshot and then they move in. And so when they get in there, Munson gra- drops the gun, hands are up, and he's like, I didn't fire it. It just went off. Like, I, it's so crazy. After everything this man has done, he's been holding his wife caught hostage. He's like, I don't want to get in trouble for killing a cop. Like, uh-oh, now my union will really drop me, you know? Like, and so he that's when he drops the gun and starts complying. And baby Dodds is on the ground with a bullet to the gut, and there's a lot of blood. And Dodds um, is like, I'm okay, I'm okay. His dad comes in and is helping him and he's like, hang in there, buddy. And he's like applying pressure and it's like a really, it's like a really well-acted scene. Like it's very, you're nervous. And then Dodds and Dodds take off in the ambulance. (laughs) Rollins and Carisi show up and everyone's about to go head to the hospital, but Liv looks really rough. So Rollins is like, are you okay? And she's like, I mean, we didn't search him. Like I left Dodds in that house. Like this is all on me. And we're seeing her really get her guilt, which uh, Lisa and me too. I mean, we both kind of think this is one of the times where she kind of deserves it. Although leaving him in the house- Not deserves it. Mistakes happen. It's like stressful. She's texting you. We have this case. No, but she did make mistakes. She did make mistakes this time. I didn't mean deserves it. But it did make sense to me too that she would take the kids out to the car because she like had a rapport with the kids. Like that makes more sense. And she's like a mom. I don't know. It made more sense to me. Um, And so- At the hospital, Daddy Dodds tells them Baby Dodds took a bullet to the abdomen and that they hit an artery, but he's a fighter. And we find out that he's B negative and they need more blood. Carisi's like, I'm O negative and rushes off to go give blood. And then the doc's like, there was, the doctor comes in and he's like, there was a lot of damage. There's still a risk of sepsis and organ failure, but if we can get through the next few hours and Daddy Dodds is like, then? And he's like, 
you should reach out to family and tell everybody. And it's like, sir, are, doctor, are you being positive or negative? Like, it was just really like weird. He was like, if we can just get through the next few hours, I think we'll be out of the woods. But instead he goes, we could, but also call everybody that you've ever known him because they got to say goodbye. And so now- Did you ever watch Reba? No. I didn't either, but the theme song, sorry, like the youth say slaps, but <laughs> it's called I'm a Survivor and someone was singing it next to me randomly and I, it's so funny, but she says like heart of a fighter. And so when you said he's a fighter, I just couldn't, I had to look up the lyrics because I was like, I, I want to listen to the Reba song. Wow. I feel like so many songs talk about being a fighter and this is the one you, you thought of. Yeah, like, again, I, again, glimpses into Lisa's brain, everyone. I'm a so, survivor. You have to listen to I think you would like it. It's really going to get in your head. Also, uh, I, sad to admit, the Taylor Swift new album is infiltrating my brain. Oh, uh, here she is. <laughs> so now Liv is talking to Daddy Dodds, like, can I help you call people? And he's like, I haven't spoken to Baby Dodds' mother in years. She's like, last I heard, she's at an ashram in India. Like, I don't know where the fuck she is. And then and then Liv goes, what about your other son? And Daddy Dodds goes, you know about him? And it's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he's mentioned he has a brother in like the 10 episodes he's been on. But also it's like, he's like, you know about Matt? And I love how he's in Mexico getting his life together for the 50th time. So like- Dad Dodds has always seemed like an asshole. This is like his redemption episode where you start to like him, but he's always been such a dick to Olivia. Then he's got this son that is clearly like he's projected all his hopes and dreams on. And then he's got this other son who was probably like, fuck you, dad, I don't want to be a cop. And so now he's the fuck up living in Mexico. Probably Which sounds surfing. like a great time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I am the Je suis Matt. Uh, but um, <laughs> Anyway, the Dodds family is kind of a mess. And I think that's funny because the dad is just so like, you know, and Liv's like, oh, also Mike mentioned he just got engaged. And Daddy Dodds is like, fuck, yes. I got to call his girlfriend, Alice, his fiance in Chicago. She loves Mike. I do love that he's a bad dad. This is funny. Yeah. I'm loving this. It's like, did you know anything about it? Like besides like his cop stuff. And everyone is uh, now chatting in the hospital about Mike. And it seems like Mike is going to be okay. And Liv is talking to the world's most available babysitter, Lucy, who is agreeing to, I guess, work all night again. And uh, so the silver fox, Tucker, Ed Tucker shows up. And at, at this time, him and Liv are dating. And um, he checks in with Liv and she's really blaming herself. And he's like, you can't do that. Then they get word that Mike is in recovery in the ICU and it was touch and go, but he's a fighter and he's doing okay. And Dodds mm -hmm. is like, can I see him? And everyone's like really relieved. So now in the hospital room, baby Dodds looks fucking gross. Like he is <laughs> so pale and nasty. Like there's clearly like pale makeup. I mean, like this show has shown people having just got shot, just got like fucking horribly attacked. Like they've shown so many people, they usually have a normal skin tone. Dodds <laughs> looks like a zombie. Like his face is gross. And, um, he wakes up and the first thing he asks about is Lisa Munson. And, uh, the dad's like, He's going to brag. He's like, even on his deathbed, he was thinking of the victims. I know. And he's like, she's okay, thanks to you, but you should have known better and searched the guy. And then Daddy da Dodds is like, after this, can we please put the hero shit aside? And it's like, okay, but you're, you're probably the one that has instilled the hero shit in him, you know? And then he goes... <sighs> 
Mike goes, yeah, whatever you say, pop, pop. And then he makes a joke like, are you pissed that you had to call mom? <laughs> and I, I mean, they're having, a, they're having a little time. It's cute. And then Releasey uh, gets a hit on the boring Barba storyline and they go tell Liv, but she's like fully snoozing on Ed Tucker's shoulder and it's very cute. So I think they give her two seconds. But now everyone is brainstorming Do they know about, that they're fucking or is this how the reveal happens? Maybe they, that's like, the reveal the to tilt. the squad. Yeah, you're right. Maybe that's how like the squad finds out. Who knows? Good question. It's so hard when you watch these like all out of crazy order. But um, now everyone is um, brainstorming about how to get this um, guy who we've identified from the footage. And then Alice, Mike's fiance, shows up and um, they all go in there and he's like, I'm okay. And he says... He says, Lieutenant, I told you I was englazed. And he like can't, he, so he, he meant to say engaged and he can't remember the word fiance and Benson's clocking it that he's kind of talking weird. And he says, um, he says, when Liv walks out with, with Daddy Dodds, he goes, uh, thanks officer. It's like weird stuff. And Dodds admits that he called him Pop-Pop, which was the nickname for Dodds' dad. So his grandpa. So like, why are you calling, you know, that's a weird thing. So they rush the doctors in and they're like, we got to get him a CAT scan like right away. And baby Dodds just like, yeah, continues to look like ass. So now it's the morning and they're still waiting on news. And the doctor shows up to talk to Dodds and the doctor does not have a great look on his face. In the room that Mike is in, we see that he's lying there intubated and we find out that he had clots in his brain from the bullet, you know, the shooting. And uh, he had a massive stroke. So he's alive. His heart is beating strong, but neurologically he's gone. And Dodds is explaining it to Benson and just starts breaking down crying. And it's like, it really is Emmy such good award. acting. It's like, he should have been nominated for an Emmy. I really didn't even know he had it in him. Yeah. Uh, you know, no offense to Big Brow Daddy, but like, you know, I, I just didn't know that this was the depth of what he had inside and it, of him. It's like, there's also something to me about when you've seen someone be such a dick for so long and then you see them have this like horrible heartbreak and like it just like even hit me even harder. I was like, oh my God, he has emotions and this is really horrible. And so it's really fucking sad. And then we get Benson looking worse for wear. She does not look good doing this long, sad walk down a white hallway. And at the end of the hallway is like Carisi, Rollins, Finn, everybody looking for the news and... You know, she just gives them a look like he's he's not dead yet, but he's basically dead. Like he won't live off of a machine. And it's just so sad. Like, but Liv doesn't even say a word. She just communicates it to them with her face and they're all like heartbroken. So now we cut to the yeah, funeral. Yeah, and it's like, we see um, Benson cry and be upset so many different times. And it's like, how does she find a new way every time still? I know. You know what and, I mean? It yeah. And this is the first time I think we've really lost an officer like in that's part of the squad. Yeah. So that's really tough. Like they've all gotten shot. Some of them have gotten whatever, you know, but like there's been a lot of close calls, but this is like the first time they've lost one of their own. And so it's pretty, it's fucking sad. Um, we cut to the funeral. Amazing grace on the bagpipes. Very triggering for me. I've heard it at so many funerals on bagpipes and it's really sad. Um, Tucker Why are you Carisi, going to so many bagpipe funerals? I don't know. I've just been to a lot where someone's on bagpipe playing playing Amazing Grace. I've probably been to three or four. Do you, I, I can't believe that. Yeah. So you don't have to be a cop to have a bagpipe? I don't think so. No, no, actually it was, but you know, it might be a Catholic thing. Cause I think one, at least one was Catholic Two were Catholic people. And uh, anyway, Tucker and Carisi are pallbearers. We see baby Dodds is kind of hippie mom. She's wearing white 
you know? And uh, the deadbeat brother is there, even though I like him. And the fiance's there. Everyone, all the cops are in their uniforms. Benson's trying to hold it together. We see a single tear. It's very like these... Like the, these these police funerals or military funerals, or whatever. There's all this like tradition and sort of like things that they do, and it kind of just adds to the like ugh, of it all. Well, um, it also adds to. The, uh, I mean, I guess all funerals and death make you think of your own mortality, but when you're doing the job that just led right. to someone's death, I'm sure you're also like, "Fuck, I guess this could be me at any." Yeah, moment. and it wasn't even like oh, I walked into a big drug sting. It was like you went into a DV case where like we were just going to go move him. We didn't think that, no one thought this was like going to happen, you know? Well, I, I don't know the timeline, but uh, Daddy Dodds does say he goes, he should have known better. Like DV is so dangerous. It's oh, the yeah. First, it's yeah, like the first thing it. you learn on the squad is DV. So, yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah. Which yeah. I, I so. didn't know. Right. I just think, I feel like when they were originally heading over there, they just didn't think that this was going to get this way and like it's fucked. And so, Honestly, yeah, you're let's right. Let's blame Lisa. I'm blaming Lisa. Yeah, you said you did a thorough search. Where was the fucking gun? So and now we're at a cop. phone call like right in front of him. That really, I think, was a crazy knucklehead move. Yeah. Yeah. So at a cop bar, everyone's drinking and reminiscing about the greatest hits in Baby Dodd's history. And uh, Carisi tells Barba that they've got an eye on the guy who's been harassing him. And he's like, I'm not that worried. Again. And he's like, let's not talk about it in here. And then they, they're like, let's drink. And they do a shot. So now Benson and Dodds are chatting and she, and he's like, uh, he's actually saying it's been good to see the mom and he's like, but she wanted to spread the ashes over the Ganges. And then she just goes, and then that this is where he explains. He goes, I just can't believe it was his last day at SVU and he does this. He knew better. He knows DV is the most dangerous situation. And he was thinking he wanted to be a hero like his dad is what Liv said. So they have like this cute little moment where it's like, you know, he kind of did everything he did to impress you and... You know, I hope it worked. Um, and they all raise their glasses to the bravest cop they ever worked with. Liv takes a sip of what looks like water and wistfully looks into the distance as she tends to do. I hope it's vodka. And now we're at a lineup wrapping up the most boring plot about this fucking guy that I feel like they had to just kill time with it. And he IDs, uh, Barba IDs the guy. Um, and then they're like, Carissa goes, yeah, he told me he gets paid $250 every time he talks to you. And Barbara's like, that little? <laughs> and like, he's like, I'm worth much more. And then he's like, but he won't say who paid him. And so Barbara's getting a security detail and then they have a heart-to-heart -heart about Carissa leaving SVU to become an ADA. And he's like, I don't want to leave right now, especially with all this Dodd stuff. And he tells... He tells da uh, Barbara that Liv is taking it really hard. And now we cut to Liv talking to her therapist, Mr. Noodle from Sesame Street. She's got her cry face where she looks like she's been crying for a long time. And she's talking about how she could have done things differently. And the therapist is like, oh, how you could have overpowered a six foot eight man with nothing to live for. You could have grabbed the gun. Like, come on, Olivia. Like, he seems like he... I think maybe he is like specifically a therapist for cops because he like knows like how to talk to them about cop issues. And he's like, you need to mourn this loss, but you also are allowed to be relieved that you're alive. And no one could have known how it was going to go down. It was Dodds' time. It wasn't yours. And Liv is just kind of like struggling to take that on. And um, now the final scene of these episodes, Tucker and Liv are walking. I remember this episode from the first time I saw this. I remember this moment from the first time I saw this episode and I really like loved it. Because I think, I think they're on the West Side Highway, like on the, you know, the walking path there. And I like that. But 
they're holding hands with their, they're both holding Noah's hands. So they're like, you know, walking down and it's baby Noah before, you know, the one I don't like moved in. And then Tucker tells Liv that he's transferring from IAB to hostage negotiation. And he realized at the funeral, much like Lisa pointed out, it kind of makes you take stock of your own shit. He's like, I can't spend the rest of my life obsessing over whether a cop is lying to me. And he, he explains to Liv like how he got into IAB because she's like, oh, you never even told me how you got into this. And it was basically after his ex-wife and him broke up, he says he could never trust anyone again. And it turned out he was wrong. And he goes, Olivia Margaret Benson, I trust you. And I just think it's funny that he says her whole name like that. And- um, Wait, what's her middle name? Margaret. Yeah. And he goes, we have a good thing going on here, the three of us. And she goes, we do. And he goes, it might be nice to get away for a little while. How do you feel about Paris? And Liv is like, horny for Paris. I mean, mostly we know Liv goes to the Bahamas, but when she hears Paris, she's like, ding, 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 are you paying daddy? And then they kiss and we never really see that. We never really see Liv like kiss that many romantic partners. And so um, we get this nice little kiss between the two of them. And I like him and I've always wanted him to be the one she ended up with. I thought they were a good match. And they walk off swinging Noah, which Rosie always makes me and Jared do, even though she's getting too big for it. And uh, the Statue Girl, of Liberty- you have at least five more years of swinging Rosie. You're out of oh, your mind. she's so fucking heavy. I feel like you, I'm going to pull her a little arm out. It doesn't Anyway. I did it well into grade school. Girl, you are going <laughs> to be swinging. Start doing some upper arm work because I'll start working. Rosie on my deserves work. to be swung. She deserves to be swung in front of the Statue of Liberty. So yeah, Statue of Liberty is in the background, and that's Dick Wolf, baby, and that's a wrap on our first double episode. And I feel like it did take a long time, but not that long. No, you um, really killed it. You crushed it. Um, you did an amazing job. And you did I'm amazing, ready. sweetie. You did amazing, sweetie. I'm really excited for you to. I mean, not excited because I'm sure I'm gonna want to fucking like burn the whole world down when I hear about the real crime. But you will. We'll get to it. We'll We'll be right back. Listen to our messages. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Do you remember like 20, this happened in 2013 um, to 2014. I think he got sentenced in 2015. But do you remember the video of a cop like hysterically crying on the stand after he got a guilty verdict? No. 
So once I saw that, I was like, I remember this motherfucker. I remember this being on the news um, and him crying. So if that's something that you remember Mm -hmm. in the zeitgeist, just throwing that out there. So this guy's name is Daniel Holtzclaw. Um, Sounds like a fun drink now that White Claws are around, but he's not (laughs) fun. And he is, yeah, I hate him. Daniel Holtzclaw. He was accused of sexually assaulting 12 black women um, and a 17-year-old black girl between December 2013 and June 2014 while a police officer on and off duty. So he did assaults at all times. Um, Daniel's half white and half Japanese. And Holtzclaw was a cop in Oklahoma City and worked the night shift on the northeast side of the city. He was a three-year veteran of the force, so not really long at all he was on there um and he was a former college football star which says a lot like in terms of energy and attention and if you were like successful like big man on campus vibes um but also he was big and that's why the casting i think with brett garrett um was so good this guy was 6'1 and 260 pounds yeah um like towering over people and it kind of makes everything even more threatening so that was important i think um and they did a good job casting. Um, he tar- And the, the thing is, his race isn't that important, but I guess it is when you are targeting only black women. I just feel like your race has to be talked about too. So he targeted uh, black women in the community that he patrolled and he would stop them for searches, background checks, and traffic stops. He chose women that had records and lived in a high crime neighborhood. And he knew that like these women didn't want trouble with the police and feared the police. Um, a lot of these women were sex workers, abused drugs. Um, some ha- did have histories of lying to the police. And this, of course, was used uh, by the defense in the courtroom, like focusing on the woman's character and reliability of their testimony um, since the evidence against him was huge. Um, he, you know, he didn't pick CEOs or soccer moms. Uh, that he, he counted that nobody would believe the women he chose, said prosecutor Lori McConnell. Um, and she said that during her closing arguments in the case. Um, his victim Victims outside of that varied in terms of like, you know, a 17-year-old girl to a 57-year-old grandmother of 12. So age uh, didn't really matter. He was a man of pattern, uh, mostly, and his actions were very consistent from victim to victim. He would always start off asking the same questions, then would expose himself through the fly of his police uniform, and then take them to remote locations. Um, And then groping would lead to forced oral sex and rape. Um, And if the women had drugs on them, he would say he wouldn't arrest them if they did what he said. He would assault the women in the back of his police car and sometimes even in their own homes um, and right outside of their homes and in abandoned areas. Um, He had his usual haunts. So one victim, Shonda Rayon Hill, and they called her Sharday. Um, she told reporters, according to the Washington Post, he started to manipulate her as she was handcuffed to a hospital bed. Like he raped someone in a hospital bed while she was handcuffed to. Oh my God. Uh, Yeah. Like he is, he's truly a piece of shit. Um, she said she was like obviously speechless and scared and went into survival mode and just did what he made her do. And that was December, 2013. And we're going to go into all the victims and like what happened from attack to attack. Um, Cause there was a lot. Um, Hill, who we're, I'm talking about right now, she was pulled over and was taken to a hospital on the other side of town. And like I said, he raped her when she was handcuffed to the bed. And she was like, I know I'm high, but I'm not tripping. Like he did just do that, right? And that she said that on the stand, which I think is 
I know this isn't funny, but I like just someone being on drugs being like, wait, is this happening or not? Yeah, like, I yeah. can't. This is so fucking twisted. And like, it, you know, like, is this happening? Um, He also told her not to move too much so that her heart monitor wouldn't go off. So he's aware. Um, He just went back and then sat down at the chair in the front of her bed and was just talking to her like they were friends. And she she said really no nurses came to check in on her. And when finally a nurse came to take her blood pressure um, and ask a bunch of questions, he was standing behind the nurse with her file and going through the file. And then the nurse asked, like, one of the questions she's supposed to ask is, have you been sexually assaulted within the last 24 hours? And she said no. And then he closed her file and, like, put it down. So that was, like, kind of menacing and threatening, I would say. He told her that he hid her tickets for her and made her bonds super fucking cheap. And that's why, like, said about the character, like, it feels like he thinks he's, like, doing them a solid in a twisted way. Yeah. Um, two weeks after that, she got out of jail and she had a friend request from him on Facebook. She did accept what? it. Um, He gave his phone number and instructed her to call him to discuss the case. He called her and said he was stopping by and he tried to assault her in the car, even though she kept saying, like, my kids are inside. I have to watch my kids. I'm going inside. And um, he found out where people lived and he stalked them. So February 14th through April 14th, the victim, uh, TB initials, not everyone's, like, names are fully out there. Mm -hmm. She was in a car with her friend and uh, two kids heating up the car at around 1130 at night. They were waiting to go to the store because at midnight the food stamps kick in, so they wanted to buy food at night. So two cop cars came and each friend went with an officer and then the kids went inside the house and he made her lift her shirt in the back seat and he began to grope her. He kept showing back up at her house and one time entered her home without permission and after showing up a few times, she just moved out of the neighborhood. She straight up was like, fuck this, I have to go. So she picked up her shit and left. March 2014, um, initial CR, she was walking home one night when Holt's uh, claw stopped her and began to pat her down and she kept asking why. He decided to stop her, but he wouldn't give an answer. She had no warrants, no drugs, had her ID, um, but he still wanted to talk to her. And he wouldn't let up until she lifted her shirt and nothing was there, but he still put her in the back seat of the car for another 30 to 45 minutes. And then um, RC um, was raped by Holt's Claw in April 2014 after she was pulled over for a DUI and he allowed her to drop the car, her car off at her brother's house because it was nearby. So she's like, can I just do this so it didn't get doesn't get towed? And he agreed. Um, and that, but then instead of just letting her park the car, he raped her. So RG is another victim, not to be confused with RC, who um, was raped in her car outside of her brother's house. Um, RG was orally sodomized in her own home after he found her on the street after she had relapsed. Um, the initials TM, um, she was attacked on May 2014. She was 44 and leaving her apartment complex when he approached her and asked to search her purse and she admitted that she did have a crack pipe. He then asked her a bunch of questions before making her pull down her pants and raise her shirt. Holtzclaw said she could go to jail and she's like, well, most cops just throw away my like crack pipe. Um, but he gave it back to her and then forced her into oral sodomy and then drove her to her uncle's home because he said it was unsafe for her to walk. Like, he's like delusional. You know what I mean? Like, when I say like, yeah. he's helping people. So like, it, I mean, obviously it's like manipulative and bribe stuff, but it it's like weird that She's unsafe walking, but does he know that he is the person that is unsafe for her? You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. 
So SB, another victim of May of 2014, was 48 and was walking when Holtzclaw stopped her. And you know the fucking drill. He basically told her, you better give me head or sex or you're going to jail. And even though she had no outstanding warrants or drug shit um, on her at all, she just had alcohol on her breath from earlier in the day. Not illegal. You're allowed to fucking drink. He drove her to a neighborhood called Dead Man's Curve. And then he let her out there and made her um, get back home on her own. Like, just left her in a deserted area. Um, And then that was not the end, though. He would come through the neighborhood, always driving by, and he would stop and ask where she was going. And he stopped her once when she was with her boyfriend. And one time she was, like, walking with a friend. And he would just kind of make the rounds, like Brett Garrett, like Mr. Munson in the beginning of the... Um, episode. S.E., another victim, was of May of 2014. She was leaving on foot to visit her cousin when Holtzclaw stopped her, and he put her in the back of his car and ran her name and found some warrants, and she had recently gotten out of uh, prison. He then searched her under her shirt and pants and then exposed himself through his fly and forced her to perform oral. I mean, you could see, like, all of these are very, very similar. And then he drove... uh, he drove her to a park next to a shut down school and he parked between um, like he went up on the curb and parked between the buildings and there was like a bunch of overgrown trees and he raped her for five to ten minutes and then she Ugh. was free to go and a lot of these rapes like they say five to ten minutes and these are all um, accounts from these women's testimony BuzzFeed did um, a big reporting thing so it was all um, the victim's and their testimony in court. Um, so it was their testimony in court. And some of the, like, he was found guilty of eight out of the 13. And then multiple, like, charges with each person. Um, but some of the accounts, he was found not guilty in them. And that kind of sucks. So I'm only reading the ones where he was found uh, guilty. CJ was 52, May of 2014. Again, the story is very similar. She was walking to a friend's house. He stopped her, made her empty her pockets and get into the backseat of his car. And after playing games and asking her tons of questions, he just let her go with no incident. But then he started showing up, stalking her and taunting her. And then finally, he groped her under her clothing and she called her friend immediately and left a message telling him what happened. Janie Legons um, is one of the victims. And she told reporters in Oklahoma about what happened after a traffic stop with Holtzclaw. And she said, I was out there alone and helpless, didn't know what to do. And in my mind, all I could think about was he was going to shoot me and he was going to kill me. She recounts that she was pulled over for no reason. And then he violated her, fondled her and forced her to perform oral sex on him. And she says, according to the Washington Post, I was so afraid. I kept begging him like, sir, please don't make me do this. Don't make me do this. Um, There was also, the teen who I mentioned earlier who was 17 at the time and this was in May 2014 and she was like in an argument with two friends on the street and that's when he was like approaching and he told her that he found a warrant for trespassing on her and let her know she should, she should deal with it before she turns 18 Again, it's like this weird help. It's like he's just twisted. Um, Later that day, he stopped her um, while walking and drove her to her mother's house in the northwest part of the city. And inside the building's enclosed porch, he told her he had to search her. He then stuck his hands under her shirt and then bra felt her up and then bent her over a chair and raped her in the fucking porch of her mom's, (sighs) like, complex. Oh, my God. So that's the thing, like... You know, some of it's abandoned, but then this was just like on a porch. Like, I don't, I mean, this guy is not scared. We talk about this. Like, his badge number was showing. Like, yeah. these people really have no fucking fear. And I think he has this like a, 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 another layer where he thinks he's helping this woman with these women. And this isn't that big of a deal. Yeah. 
But that's just my analysis. Like, I don't I don't know what he was thinking. And this teen was like, this isn't even my first time being raped. And she never pr- reported any of the previous attacks unrelated to him either. Because she's like, I just didn't think that it would make a difference and no one would care. Now, again, Kay, uh, June 2014, she was walking home, cooling off after an argument with her boyfriend. He stopped her, demanded to give her a ride home, which she didn't want because she was scared people would think that she was a snitch. Um, but he insisted. And he took her in the wrong direction into an abandoned school. And then he made her expose herself and said something gross and then forced her into oral sodomy. And then he raped her. And I won't say the gross thing. And she went home and told her boyfriend who encouraged her to call the cops, but she was just too scared. She eventually did tell her probation officer what happened after seeing the news about the case on television. Now, he was obviously getting away with these crimes for a really long time, but his calculations... um, were not right the morning of June 18th, 2014. Um, He stopped JL, a 57-year-old grandmother who was driving home from playing dominoes with her friends. So, you know, connected. The age ranges of these victims, too. It's like he's going from kids to, like, grandmas. Like, he just wants... It's like anyone that he thinks he can, like, get to. Yeah. As long as I think they were, like, blackened in this neighborhood. Like, I think that's, like, all... Because hopefully with records... I mean, this is where he fucked up... Um, was she, she didn't have a record. Like she was just, she was just like a chill grandma. And yeah. so she didn't have the same fears as a lot of the other women who abuse drugs or sex workers. Like you obviously have all this stigma, but like this grandma didn't have those attached to her. Yeah. So like she didn't have the same fears to keep quiet. Um, so he pulled her over and told her to pull up her shirt and pull down her pants, according to the Associated Press, um, and then reported by Washington Post. What's Associated Press if it's just used by other journalists? Like, I don't get it. I always see AP News and AP, and but then it's like the Post and all these other journalists get to use it. And it's like, That's a what great is this? question. <laughs> like, I feel like the AP like has like zero, like there's like no politics or anything in the in the AP reporting. But I don't know. I really don't know the answer but to that. Shouldn't the Washington Post also be like free from opinion? No, because they have an opinion section. So like every newspaper like has its like bents, you know? The Wall yeah. Street Journal leans right. The Washington Post leans left. So I don't know. But the AP is like just info. I don't really know though. Yeah, and then how do they get the information? Like, journalism is just so crazy to me. Like, I'm reading all these articles, but it's like, what are they up to? Yeah. There's enough movies about journalist jobs. I don't know why I'm so confused. <laughs> okay. So she was sitting in his patrol car and then he unzipped his pants and moved towards her and she said, no, sir. Um, but then she saw the gun on the edge of her, like, her vision and she recalled thinking like, my God, he's going to kill me. So she was terrified, but she briefly performed oral sex. Um, but he backed away from the car and she stood up and the only thing she could say was, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir, for not taking me to jail. And as soon as it was over, she drove to her daughter's house in tears and together they hurried to report the assault to police. And they were lucky because they reported to the Olivia, Dem- uh, like an Olivia Benson. So they, um, Kim Davis, and she was the department's sex crimes detective. So thank God they found Kim Davis. Like, I can't imagine if it was just some other Joe Schmo police officer. Um, and the report sounded very familiar to a complaint from about five weeks earlier. So she was like, oh, maybe it's the same officer who's responsible. 
And most of the women he assaulted who testified said how they didn't think um, going to the police would do anything. And that like, who, what kind of police do you call on the police? Um, but JL didn't have, like I said, the typical record of his other victims. And so thank God she came forward and it really like sparked this case. Her complaint um, is the one that led to Holtzclaw's suspension um, the same day it was filed. And it launched a months long investigation that brought investigators to 12 other women who never thought they'd ever have their stories told. And there was a lot of evidence against him going into the trial. And the biggest one, I think, is the GPS data from his car and the various phone records that were used in court verified the geographical and timeline-related details of the case. So... He's still legit is like, I'm innocent. I'm innocent. Like he is not, he keeps appealing. Like even after he cried in court, he was like, I didn't do this. And it's like, honey, the GP, like the GPS and your phone records are not circumstantial. (laughs) Like it's pretty clear. Victims or something like, come on With the same stories. Yeah. Yeah. Cause sometimes, yeah, just, and the chatting, like that's what some of the victims said. Like after he would do it, he would then like chat like they were friends and being helpful. Um, there was also DNA evidence of the 17-year-old girl who he raped on her front porch. Um, so there was evidence of her like on a zipper. There's also all 13 women did testify against him in the five-week trial. He did not testify. And the defense only had one witness and it was an ex-girlfriend who said that he never made her feel uncomfortable. And it's wow. like, that's it? Yeah. So Again, it, not the point. Not the point, but also like in the show, all the union and everyone was like behind this guy. And here it seems like everyone was like, bye. Yeah. No union reps. We're not protecting you. We don't give a shit. Like we're not going to threaten Barba because of it. And just to have like a random ex be like, I felt safe. It's so strange. It's such a weird tactic. Like, I don't know how they thought that that would work. Might as well have no, I feel like no witnesses is better than one, like what you could find bottom of the barrel witness. Yeah. A total of 40 witnesses gave testimony. So that's so many outside of the victims. Like, I don't know. And then one ex-girlfriend. The jury deliberated for four days, but they did find him guilty. Um, The jury was all white, which does seem insane. Yeah. But they were. Um, He was convicted on 18 of 36 counts. In December 2015, he was convicted of sexual offenses involving eight victims. He cried when the verdict was read by the judge. And like I said, I remember this video. I remember this fucker crying and being like, good, he deserved it. Like, I just remember Yeah, now that you say it, it's like, I feel, I remember this guy, when I see his picture, I'm like, I recognize this from the case, for sure. Like, I remember this case. Um, And they delivered the news on his 29th birthday, which is like... I like that. So that was his birthday present. Um, But he did have supporters singing happy birthday to him outside of the courthouse. And then SB Nation, which is like a sport thing, and I just didn't want to think or talk about it. Um, But they had someone post like a sympathetic account of Daniel and not talk about any of the victims or like anything to do with the victims like at all or the everlasting like damage that this has done to these people being assaulted like this. Um, But it was like a puff piece on how to feel bad for Daniel. And I mean, I guess people were horrified, pissed at the sky. Um, It went past three editors. There was firings. Like shit went wild because he was just like this rape sympathizer with this guy who was like, well, this is why he is. And you can't really find the article and it's been taken it was taken down like within hours people were so pissed fuck i mean it's like it's like it's just such an abuse of power too like 
regardless like of how we feel about the cops, like you are supposed to be protecting people. Like you are supposed to be helping people and you're just a fully Not according abusing. to the constitution or the Supreme Court. They do not have any right. They don't have any, um, what is it? Obligation to help people. Like gets them out of stuff. It's like truly good. Then take, protect and serve off the cars. Yeah. Like if you're going to just be like fascist lunatics, like stop, stop <laughs> with this game. Um, but yeah, so if you guys want to like research into SB Nation, you can do it. I just was not. What even is that? Okay, go it's on. It's a though. sports thing. It's all oh, sports. Okay. Yeah, that's why we don't know. And then like dead spin. But everyone was just like, how did it pass so many editors? And it's like, yeah. one, you're a sports organization. I want to know how many women were working there and how many women were editors there. Uh, this is all assumptions. I don't know, but it's just like, yeah, men love to defend men doing bad things. Yeah. Men will rush to defend a dude that they've never met over a woman they've known for years. I say this all the time. Like, I, I it's like, did you? And then if this guy did relate to him, we should investigate him. So anyways, ahead of sentencing, the judge denied a defense motion filed a day earlier seeking a new trial. They were like, absolutely not. Um, he was sentenced to 263 years in prison. Hell yeah. I love that number. Yeah, which was the maximum allowable sentence. And one victim, Sherry Ellis, told the court, according to Reuters, he deserves what he gets. There will never be a day where I don't think of how I was violated. And I think that's what the sports website maybe forgot to think about right. when they wrote a, p a puff piece about feeling sad for Daniel. Um, he's true, but he won't stop being a piece of shit. Like, um, he keeps appealing constantly. He just like will not stop. Um, September 25th, 2022, uh, very near. Um, the Oklahoman reported that he plans to challenge the convictions again. In 2016, a dozen accusers sued him in the Oklahoma City Federal Court, but they gave up after a U.S. District Court judge, Joe Heaton, threw the city out of the case. Um, and since all the civil cases against him have been dismissed, he's going to fight against his criminal convictions and he won't stop. Um, but the judge said um, they didn't have enough evidence that the city was to blame for Holtz Claw's actions. Yeah. Which I guess I see he did it in secret, but like, I don't know. I don't know. Like that other cop that one day where there was two of them and they split up, like, did he not know? But yeah, so the judge yeah. just didn't see the city was to blame. Uh, the plaintiff's attorney, uh, Mark Harmon, said, you would think that the city might in this circumstance say, hey, that's our employee who did the wrongful actions and therefore we're going to do something to help compensate for that wrong. But the city said, no, we don't care. And that's according to the Oklahoman. Oh, and in damn. a wild turn of events, uh, the Oklahoma City Police uh, welcomed the conviction. They did not defend him in any way. And in a statement after the trial, they said, we are satisfied with the jury's decision and firmly believe justice was served according to the Washington Post. But it's like when you, when your officers like shoot someone either accidentally or like excessive use of force or whatever, or you like they usually get money from the city in civil court. So why would this be different? Like, I don't understand how the city of Oklahoma City didn't feel like, or, or, or like how the police department's budget, which is probably enormous, did not have any room to compensate any of these victims. That's a really good point. I don't know. And then a lot of people are still mad about like that this didn't get more national attention. And is it because like the victims are all black women? But I do remember this case. So I don't, I don't really remember the, like I remember the, I remember the sentencing. I really do. Yeah, I remember this guy's face when I looked it up recently and was like, oh yeah, this fucking guy. Maybe I have seen the crying, but like, 
honestly, I, I don't know. There's like, it's just the abuse of power for me too. Like, ugh, it's so and awful. And this guy but- just randomly, wildly got caught and walked into the right detective at the right time. I think there's been probably more victims that have not come forward. Oh, yeah. And I believe this is happening all the time, constantly. Yeah, and just weird how sometimes he didn't immediately assault people because he was probably trying to just like feel out who would be like compliant or who would like buy his shit, you know? Like, and then other times it was just probably crimes of opportunity, like the grandma who brought him down. But we, that was fucking horrific. Thank you for researching all of that. I, we do have an amazing guest to cleanse your palate in about one second. So don't go anywhere. Guys, I know I say this all the time, but our guest today, truly amazing. A tr- a Broadway baby. He's been in productions of Groundhog Day, Legally Blonde, Jersey Boys, Into the Woods, so many more. But we know him affectionately on this podcast as Baby Dodds. True name, Sergeant Mike Dodds, RIP. And we were so excited to be able to talk to the wonderful Andy Carl. Check it out. I don't know if you know this. Right off the top, we have a confession. Okay. So on our <laughs> podcast, we refer to your character as Baby Dodds. Baby so Dodds. Baby Dodds. Dodds. Yeah. Like, yeah. I've heard it. I've heard it all, um, which is fine. Yeah. It's, uh, Mike was his name, but it became, uh, through the social media, it was like mini Dodds. It was actually like so many people said Dobbs, even on the set, were D-O-B-B-S. Like, some of the actors were like, in the scene saying like, so, yo, so Dobbs. And I was like... <laughs> Does anybody want to correct? No. And there's literally two of us. (laughs) There's two of us. Wait, there's actually someone sent it to us. It is not with your character, but they accidentally put in the rehearsal shot of someone holding a fake gun like this instead of a real gun. And we really liked that. Um, There's so I'm sure there's like there's gotta be so many little like uh, add-ins or mess-ups. Um I I'm thinking of one now, like Peter Gallagher when he when I was dying on the gurney. And I looked pale. <laughs> they had paste, they had painted my face with like all this like white like pale makeup. And he like kissed my forehead. And he and he has like white on his lips. And you can <laughs> see it in the scene. Like I see it every time that scene comes up. And I'm like, <laughs> like they didn't want to fix that. Uh, they, nobody yeah, notices. Right. Nobody knows that show just moves at a clip. You can't fix everything. Yeah, you know. Exactly. I mean, that's I didn't notice crazy. the lips. I rewatched these yesterday, and I feel like I got to go back again. I, I just did not rewatched the lips. it yesterday too, and I didn't notice. But they, I did notice how pasty you look. Yeah. Like I, I was, was like, very pasty. He does not look well. Um, not, yeah. But your arc was so good because it's kind of the classic. You come in and you're like, I don't know, is this real? Let leave him alone. I don't know. I don't trust yeah. Benson. And then it's like, oh my god. I'm horrified. This is so sad. There's like a girl with a Converse shoe and that episode, you finally like (laughs) the horrors of the squad, like of that precinct get to you and then you become a hero and then you, you know, fully get. Ah, wait, wait to pay attention, man. That was, yeah, that that third episode where that girl, that was my case. uh, And uh, it was interesting because I was coming into a show that was so well known and these icons are on set with me and I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I'm going to try to find my way. Um, yeah. And by the third episode, they gave me like something that was sort of like my case to go after. And uh, I and uh, Mike Dodds had 
at least my backstory was told that he was in the military for some time. Um, he had had boots on the ground in Afghanistan, that kind of stuff. So yeah, he, he was, joined up after 9-11. Yeah, yeah. It was so, and his whole thing was he wanted to go into counterterrorism and sort of SVU was a way to like, you know, move up the ladder, so to speak, with the, with the, the his father, like moving him forward. Um, uh, it's just that when SVU came into Mike's or Mini Dodd's life, uh, he saw something uh, in the pursuit of doing, of, re- of really solving difficult cases and this real gray area of uh, victims that were attacked, but how do they have proof? And, you know, it became, it was really interesting because I think Mike, Mini Dodd's wanted, always wanted to solve <laughs> problems. He really wanted, like, he found it so intricate and uh, and difficult to solve some of these cases and how to how to deal with families and how to deal with emotions. It, it turned out to be much more than he was expecting, at least from my perspective of looking through that character. Yeah, for sure. And I think like for the audience too, like the audience at the beginning is like, this is like a Nepo baby who got his job through his daddy. Totally. And we were like ready to hate you, but then you really like warm up and like, I just watched your death yesterday and was like I cried. really, I really cried. upset. Peter Gallagher like, in that scene when he's uh, talking uh, over my body that's sort of like just barely hanging on by, by recessed tape. Uh, and- he goes so deep in front of uh, Benson, uh, it crushes you. I, I think about it and I get teary. Just like his performance yeah. in that scene was crushing as a father over his son's body who was, you totally. know, and the son who was, you know, always wanted to do right and always wanted to to help and always wanted to prove something more than he was uh, than, than just a nepotism baby. Um, he... It was it was crushing. It was crushing. I st- you know yeah. thinking about it now, it's pretty it's pretty upsetting. Yeah, the funeral. Did you steal the fo- giant photo of you in military clothing at the funeral party? <laughs> no, I wasn't even at the funeral. I didn't go. It was someplace in Brooklyn. I was like already rehearsing for something else. They had this whole funeral that I watched on television. I was like, that's pretty good. It's a pretty good funeral. That's nice. Yeah, and all the bagpipes and-, and stuff. I was like, what's going on? So your very first episode is this flute episode that we just covered a few weeks ago, and it's wild. <laughs> like, did that just, like, set the tone? Were you like, okay, so this is what the show is? I mean, did you know a lot of SVU before you joined, or you get your first script, and you're like, okay, opens on a flute concert. What's going on? <laughs> like, like I, I, you can't sort of envision what's going to happen. Once you see the page, you're like, what is this exactly? And But, but I, I was so... Uh, I was so concerned about my own job. Like, it's like, I didn't really realize the insanity of the, the concert <laughs> and the flute and the, and the violin players. But I mean, this stuff exists. I mean, you can, you can YouTube any of this stuff on a, you right. know, somewhere. There's always some, some European concert of people just going crazy with flutes and violins <laughs> and clogging. It's like huge and lights and fire. And uh, so it is a thing. Uh but it was just, it was interesting that they they chose that. And there was like so many like flute innuendos in the entire episode. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, looking back on it, it was kind of, it was kind of insane. But like getting in, I was like, how am I going to deal with the fact that like the legend Ice T is standing right next to me? How am I going to deal with this? Because I don't oh think nobody really understood like all, all the break in and the break, like, 
I was that kid who was really into the the, the movement of like break dancing and and getting all, all the like hip hop into into the world. That's just like that's where that's all we listen to and listening to Ice. And now I'm sitting here sharing a scene with this guy. Like this, there's no way this is possible. Yeah. Um, and but he's so cool. He's so great. But uh, I think that's that's where my head was at. It's just like. Don't look like an idiot when you're talking to Ice T. Don't look like an <laughs> idiot when you're talking to Mariska because it's like, uh, you know, these these people are iconic. Um, and it was also very strange. I came onto the set when P- uh, Peter Scanavito, his wife was about to give birth. Coco was about to give birth. Uh, uh, Kelly was about to give birth. And um, Mariska's like, can't be found because she's always doing something. She is like... <laughs> such a mover and a shaker and she does like all her all her uh you know benefits and 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 she and she comes in she does the scene and she goes out because she's got nine thousand things going on at the same time so i was in my dressing room just sort of like looking at my lines and looking at my phone for hours upon hours while everybody was dealing with their families (laughs) and so i sort of felt outside of everything and i guess that's the way my character was in the first place so uh you know coming in and just sort of taking over that that's all i could think about the entire time it's like don't mess up don't mess up well you mentioned yeah you're going into this iconic show with these iconic people how do you ground yourself to then just be able to like act and be there and not let your like was there a moment where you calmed down and you're like these are just my coworkers, or was it always like fuck it's iced tea i think you know my thing was like I'm respectful, especially of people that have that legacy. Like, I think I was too respectful for a a long time. Like, I just wanted to do my job, not mess up, and, like, I'll answer any questions you got. I was very Mike Dodds about the whole thing. It's like, I got this covered, and I'll cover this, and I'll make sure that I say this line on this time. And if somebody's out that day, I'll cover for this. And I I was being very, like, uh, pragmatic about the entire thing. And I wasn't loose to, like, converse with people or, like, grab people and say, like, tell me about your life. So... It was it was a little le- like a lonely island for a little bit, and then uh, Peter Scanavino sort of took me under his wing, like second or third third episode, and like you know, it was being my boy, and we were like really getting along. And you know, as the episodes continued, like the two of us became like really good friends, and and uh, it was that was that was that was the best part about it is like slowly things started to turn in that direction um it's just yeah but like coming on a show that that's pop that's that popular and never having been on a a regular on any show i've only done you know i've done a lot of broadway shows and maybe like a guest spot here and there but uh, uh that one was just like it was it was a bit overwhelming for me like i so like i was learning as i was doing it it was like college you know it was like just you know, get down, do your homework, and make sure you show up the next day. Yeah. Um, and all the babies were born. Yeah, and then all the babies. <laughs> and then all those babies came. So you and Orfe met on a musical, got yes. married, and then you guys just did a big concert together, which, by the way, you guys just did a big concert at Sony Hall, right? Yeah, yeah, we just We're going to be at Sony Hall in um, January. Nice, our podcast. nice. How's the venue? The venue's awesome. You're gonna love it. It's okay. great. It's it's sort of like old school but new school, and just like an open space, and it seats 500. So you know, it's like it, it once you pack that place out, it's it's great. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah, have fun. It's 
it's it's a really no. Nice we're space. excited. I just noticed there was like a Broadway World like uh, article about you guys and talking about your Sony Hall gig, and I was like, hey, we're going there. So you guys, we're we're like obsessed with. We talk to tons of actors from SVU, and a lot of them are married to other people in the business, and we like always just want to ask, like, how does that work? Do you guys do projects together? Like, obviously, you do tons of projects together. Do you run lines together? Do you do auditions together? Like, how do you keep it so that you don't kill each other? Because my husband is also in, like, the entertainment business, as am I. And sometimes I'm like, I don't know if we can do this. Yeah. (laughs) So we like to ask people how they do it. (laughs) I mean, it's... it's different every time you do an audition, but we do do auditions together. Like I'll read for her, she'll read for me, and mm-hmm. we have a whole setup. I'm I'm the tech guy when it comes to that stuff, so I'm like always I like doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, I have a sense of like, I, it's like with when she got the SVU episode, and it was just it's this great part. I actually was very jealous. I was like, they didn't write something like that for me, uh, <laughs> but she was it's it's a terrific part, and uh, I was just like trying to like. So this is how it's going to be on the set. I can already see what they're going to do, how this shot is going to be laid out. Da, 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 da. I get really technical about it. And she's like, just tell me my line, man. Just shut up and tell me my line. <laughs> so, so I spend a lot of time like directing in my head where I, you know, it's like, I, I don't really need to do that. So I think I get on her nerves that that way. Um, and, uh, but we do, we do do well in these, you know, auditions. We understand each other's life. So, uh, and it's always the best when we work together because then our schedules just like line up and we can walk the dogs and we can feed yeah. them and do all that I kind of stuff. I didn't even think so, about that. Yeah, that's, that's nice. like when life meets up like that, then you're on the same schedule. Then it's like it's it's like yeah. a dream. Uh, when it's like crazy sporadic, like I'm finishing uh, Into the Woods this tomorrow is my last show. But uh, I'm not here from like, you know, 5.30 to midnight uh, every night. And uh, she has to take care of everything else. <laughs> well, Into the Woods has been a huge hit. Everyone's um, kind of obsessed. Is there a dream role, theater-wise, that you have not played that you'd want to play? Obviously, Into the Woods means a lot, but is there a role you're still... Yeah, that was, that was, that was truly like one of the ones that I, I hadn't thought about. And then when I did it, I was like, oh, this is, this is my dream when I was a kid. Uh, I, I've done like some of... Like I, I played Rocky in in Rocky the musical. Uh, I, I was uh, Phil Connors in Groundhog Day. Yeah, uh, in London and here, those soaked up any of my dreams. What's like that? They became like my things that I put everything, every ounce of who I am into them, essentially. And uh, they became that's that's. I reached exactly where I wanted to be. I've, I've reached something where it was, I felt like I was originating enough that was different from the film. And I was also doing something totally unique uh, in, in ways of performing. And um, so if I could do anything like that, it's, uh, it's great. There's some actors out there. Kevin Klein is like one of, I think he's terrific. Uh, I would love to do, follow that sort of journey of uh, career. He does, he's done great stuff on stage and obviously in movies. Um, So I'm sort of just following like the tone of where things are going, where I would like to end up at some point and do something. And that and be a, you know, some sort of Klingon in Star Trek. That was, that's always (laughs) been a dream. Amazing. Yeah, we got to get you with full prosthetic makeup on. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm into it. What <laughs> schedule, like being on an SVU set so many hours versus Broadway taking care of your voice, throat coat, which schedule is 
worse. But Pref- I don't know how preferred. to say that. They both have their ups and downs. Uh, I was shocked at, like, SVU was, like, up in the morning, you know, some 4 a.m. call and, like, get there to set by 6 and then sit around until 10, 11, until you're actually on set, which was, like, as a theater actor before that, I was like, energy's got to be on point when you arrive. That's how I, w- I was like, show up, ready for rehearsal, ready to go. Uh, I had to manage my energy because you can't show up at four in the morning and not, not go on set until 11 and keep like a high energy interval. So I was like, just calm down, make right. sure you get, you know, and then about an when you when they call you, it's usually you only have about five minutes before you got to be on set. You're like, okay, let's go. Um, so that was that was interesting uh, amount of like focus energy uh, that I wasn't used to, um, and uh, and then it would be very long days and some days uh, extremely long. Um, uh, the 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 theater and Broadway schedules are grueling because it is the same. Like it's eight shows a week. It's like for you for three hours of Into the Woods, you got to be on. And you're cooking at a high level, making sure that you don't lose that energy while, you know, you're backstage waiting to go on because the the entire show is running at a certain uh, pace and a certain energy and keeping the audience going and the audience is live and it's in front of you. So you got to keep, you know, keep it up. So that was it. It was just like managing energy and also yeah. trying to find some comfort in that. Um, so that was, that's the, to me, that was a big difference. Um, yeah. Some would, some would be like, oh, you had it easy on the set. You didn't even have to, you know, you worked for like, you did a scene for five minutes and then you went and sat down. I'm like, I'm usually the guy that likes to be up and awake and jumping around like while I'm at work. But that means 12 yeah, hours. Yeah, you got to save it. Like, or yeah. at 11 p.m. you're going to be like, you know. Yeah, exhausted. Just talking exhausted. to a witness with uh, your eyes closed. <laughs> um, <laughs> so... A little bit just circling back to SVU, I kind of wanted to know, like, when you found, when you, re- how did you find out you were going to die? Did they just uh, send you the script or did someone like have a talk with you and be like, listen, we need this to happen? Or were you like, I got to go because I have a musical coming up? Or like, we, you know, we never no, know it was, it's, it's why these like, things happen. It was very, very, uh, <laughs> it was very immediate. Um, so, Here's here's the story with this. Uh, and on television shows, especially SVU, I mean, I'm sure it happens with every television show that is a recurring series that will... So it's got to be picked up every season. And those people on set and the crew and all those people don't know. And you would think SVU, they'd be like, oh, we got this. We're, not, we're, well, we're definitely doing another season. That's what was in my head as you were talking. I'm like, SVU knows, but yeah, I guess exactly. not. Like, <laughs> But also as the new guy on set, I didn't know if I was going to be going to the next season. So, and and I had been offered uh, Groundhog Day in London and Scott Rudin was producing and he's like in my ear, like telling me like, you know, we'll give you this. I was like, this is like, I'm in a great position of like, as an actor, yeah. like I got a job that I could go to, but I'm also doing a really great job here. But I didn't know, and they won't tell anybody on set, and they won't tell, and, they, and certainly me, who was like, I was, I was the last, like the last of the guys on the on the list. Like, there's one, and then there was like me at the <laughs> bottom. Like, and we're not going to tell you. You're the new guy. We don't. We were we were just giving you three episodes at a time until we ended up here. Um, so I had no idea, and I'm also uh, a pessimist when it comes to like, you know, am I get, is the next job coming? 
Um, I guess that might be all actors. We don't know when that's going to happen. Mm. So when you have a bird in the hand and you had this like job to go to, I was just like, well, I've asked five times if they're going to keep me. They can't tell me. Um, I guess in my gut, I was like, I don't think they're going to keep me on. So I took the Groundhog Day gig because they said you can do whatever you want. So that would, to me, I was like, all right, so I guess I should go take this gig and, 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 and go. Um, and that maybe like two days later, Warren Light was like, okay, for, so the last episode, we're going to kill you. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like, have you killed, <laughs> have you killed anybody on, in the, in the, in the uh, squad before? And I, I, I think I had been like the first guy they killed that was attached to the squad. I may be wrong about that. Um, no, I think you're right. The only right, person I can think of is Sister Peg, but that just happened in the squad. She was no, a and nun. No, and, uh, and O'Halloran was a CSU tech who gets murdered in season, like, t- uh, 11. But Mike like, Doyle. But yeah, yeah, not an officer. Not an officer. Not an officer. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. So not I think a, it was like, it was Blaze of Glory kind of kind of cool to me. It was like, all right, so I'll, that'll be a little bit of history, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and it was such an epic, like, dramatic episode. I thought it turned out really uh, heart-wrenching, but but great in a, in a great way. Um, so I, I had the best of both worlds. I was going to go do um, a job in London, and I'd never worked in London. I was really happy to go do it, uh, you know, but I was, it's also like, if I hadn't taken it, would they would they have kept me? But yeah. I don't. I don't. You, you can't tell. This is how TV is. You just you just don't know. Who knows? Yeah. And, unless they're like, oh, we got it in the bag. That all the money in the world in here. We're gonna we're gonna keep everybody. And so they wouldn't. It was yeah. We took it took. They were they were waiting all the way till like the season ended and we stopped shooting and that nobody knew what was going on until they got the call. Um, so it was interesting to to watch people who had been doing the show for so long sort of in a small panic of like, are we going to do season 18? Yeah, and yeah. You would think that wouldn't be the case with SVU, but it actually was. Like the crew, all, all of them. Oh, they didn't like, even we know, don't know they were getting renewed. There's so many people who could be unemployed by that. Yeah. Thing, so of course they're going to be worried about it. So right. I think that was, in in that sense, I made a decision uh, and I feel it was the right one. So uh, who knows what would have happened Maybe they would have kept me, maybe not, but uh, I had a, I did have a burden hand with a, with another job. Yeah, well, that's nice. I think also like your death was a turning point for Daddy Dodds because he was kind of hated up until then because mm, he was so mm-hmm. awful to Marishka's character all the time. Yeah. And so you're dying. People are like, okay, we like him now. And also, you're like, you're right. The performance he gave was yeah, like yeah. amazing. As that. was yours. As was yours. I mean, like when you were like just subtly saying stuff that didn't make sense. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, what's going on? Something like, cause that was what yeah. was, that death was like, they made it seem like you were going to be fine. We meet right. your fiance and then they do it again. It was they like- do it again. Yeah, this yeah. Sort of like, it's, there was, there was a medical condition. I can't remember it, but it was like, it was definitely, a, there's some sort of clot that can happen, especially yes. with wounds that can get into your blood system that people can't, that doctors can't detect. And then it like moves to your brain and shuts everything off. Uh, so yeah, in, in the medical field, like there's some of those things that you can't predict. Um, and so I, they went that route with it. Yeah. Um, and, was and it was your fun. second time being shot, right? You got shot yeah. by uh, Dr. Rudnick, I think, in another episode. Yeah, one of those crossovers from Chicago PD. They did yes. this crossover. So it was, uh, <laughs> well, you mentioned how they shoot all over. So you, did you have any favorite places to shoot in, in terms of like interrogation room, the precinct, the court or anything? Or it was all fun? No fans. It was. I mean, that was the cool thing. Like 
when you get on a show like that, you you start to get the the access and you know where they shoot at Chelsea Piers and like, oh, the whole court is up here. Like, and they they would constantly have to pause for uh boats that would pass by. Oh wow. <laughs> that was that was the one thing I wasn't <laughs> expecting. It's like, so so you tell us again, did you kill her? <laughs> and be like, all right, hold, let's hold. Um so we uh that was that was fun, and I would I would always ride my bike on the West Side Highway straight up there, um, and and that was that was cool. I could go to work at Chelsea Piers at the SVU, um, and they would constantly build sets. Mariska's apartment is built on there, and you, it's all these all these places you wouldn't assume that were there, but also all the places that we got to travel to. Uh, we we shot at Rikers. We shot at another jail. Up, Wait, you guys really go to upstate. Rikers for those? We did. We did for one. Wow. Episode. We and it was obviously a locked off area of Rikers, place that we could get in and get out. Yeah. And it was just sort of, uh, and that was one of that was when I met Brad Garrett. We shot at actually in Rikers. Wow. Um, wow. Because he, he was mostly uh, working there, doing what he did there. Yeah. Um, and we went up to another jail upstate, and uh, we had to like walk down the halls and like the the guys who were, you know, in there who were like chain on a chain gang, they would have to face the wall as we would walk by them. And it was, it was, it was crazy. You're just like, Oh, this is, this is the stuff I thankfully have never been a part of, you know, uh, but I'm, I'm seeing, you know, inside these jails and um, I've been to places like city Island. I had never been to, you know, I've lived here for 20 plus years and I've never been to parts of uh, New York or, you know, Manhattan, uh, and some like inside some of the churches that you walk by every day, we shot some things inside of these churches that, you know, are beautiful, gorgeous churches of oh, New yeah, York City. Oh, yeah, you got, you were part of a bunch of Catholic church stuff, I yeah, remember, yeah. in your and, season, um, I feel like. Yeah, and stuff down by uh, <clears throat> City Hall and uh, and by the courts and st- filming on the stairs of the of the courts in New York. It's it's cool. It's like, oh, this is this is the set. But it's actually, it's just a real part of New York City. So, uh, you know, places yeah. I just never spent time, you get to see that when you're shooting that show. It's really a uh, cool access. And a lot of walk and talks. How are those? Oh, yeah. The walk and talks. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, it's funny because you, you, it was like, you know, stay in your line. It's, 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 it's easier when you're actually walking to sort of keep your, you have something to do with your body as you're saying your lines. For me, I, there's mm. if I'm doing something, it's much easier. If I'm holding something, like eating something while I'm doing, it makes me feel a lot more comfortable. Uh, so walk and talks from kind of my favorite. Uh, but they always, you know, obviously do it over and over again until you get the right angles and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and we, uh, I remember we when we were discussing the Munson case, Munson was the name of Brad Garrett's character. Mm-hmm. In one of the walk and talks, we had to say, Somehow they had written Munson, I think like 15 times in this one shot. We were saying Munson back and forth so much that we all just started breakdown laughing at, because we were a little, why are we saying Munson? <laughs> so it's like when you say a word too many times, it just becomes ridiculous and you don't know what it means. Yeah, you forget what like, it means. So Munson did this and Munson, <laughs> well, you got to find Munson and Munson's got this and Munson. It was, it was just, we just started cracking up. So that was, that was a good day. <laughs> well, and the... And because his wife was Munson. Right. So it was like Munson. Mrs. Munson, him, Mun- it a was lot a lot of Munson. And we, yeah, that's what actually uh, Mariska and I call each other now is Munson because we said it so many times. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> hey, Munson, what's going on? 
Oh my god, that's cute. You have an inside joke with Mariska. Cool. That's awesome. What a dream. The squad. You're ready for an Aaron Sorkin show now with all that yeah. walking and talking. Oh yeah, that'd be great. That's, <laughs> what's he doing next? Yeah, it, it was it was great. It was it, to get all the the lingo of the squad and uh, especially Minnie Dodds had a lot of the the you know procedural talk because he was kind of that guy. He was constantly looking in the books, like he, he was trying to like uh, call out uh, Ice's character for you know. Uh, missing days or not showing up to certain, like he was saying something to uh, Benson about him not showing up to certain, uh, I don't know, things that there was, he was supposed to show up to. And she was like, she cut him down pretty, she cut Minnie Dodds down pretty quickly. Like, like you don't know what he actually means to this precinct and what he does in his, in his time when he's not doing something. He's usually doing something very important. Um, well, yeah, so, the balls on Dodds were huge because I remember yeah. even in the beginning you were like, if you don't really need my help, Ben, and she goes, it's your yeah. first day. Like, yeah. chill out. Uh-huh. But sure. then- I'm here to delegate. I'm here to delegate. I want to help. <laughs> yeah. He was way too eager, way too eager to like, you know, make sure to try to like fix the squad when uh but he was also very loyal which i i thought was and funny. speaking of loyalty not to th- totally go off topic but you we're both virgos i know you're a virgo uh-huh uh-huh. We're just loyal people. <laughs> yes, we are. And we're very messy. Look at this. Yeah. Look, at this look at this room. Not but I know me. where everything is. <laughs> I'm, messy. I'm a neat Virgo. She's a messy Virgo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that's why we, we work way. well together. Yeah. We're yin and yang Virgos. Oh, wow. Um, so what What else coming up for you? Do you have yeah, anything you're like, stuff. what's the next thing you're doing? Uh, you're like, Are you literally going to be on Broadway tonight? Yeah, I'm gonna be on oh Broadway my God. tonight. Like, this is so cool. I can't believe you like tom- took the time and you're like, gotta go you. to Broadway. Tomorrow is my last show uh, uh-huh. for Into the Woods, and that'll be a nice send off. And then, and then, do you party, or does everyone else have to take care of their voices and you can't party? What happens? So we everybody gets Thanksgiving off, which oh, uh, yeah. so that's great. Everybody can go party. Yet, I, at least I don't have to, but. All the entire cast has to go back and do a matinee and an evening show the next day. So you can't party oh, yeah. too hard. You got to be back on Broadway. That's, that's you know, what I was talking about earlier. It's it's a little bit of a grind with the schedule. Um, totally. So, so, yeah. And, they you know, you can't really leave town uh, to go hang out with your family because, you know, you're working. So um, holidays are, are a time for, like, most actors to work, uh, especially in the theater. Um, what's coming up? I wrote and produced and directed with my friends. Uh, we all wrote it. Uh, a, uh, twist on a Christmas carol called Scoonge, a mobbed up Christmas carol. <laughs> okay, that's uh, <laughs> and we're going to be there in, uh, at the Birdland Theater, December 16th through 18th. Um, and it's so funny and it's so wrong in so many ways, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's still got the heart of a Christmas carol, but you know, it's like the, the characters are now changed to sort of like seventies, you know, mob characters, yeah. uh, Ebenezer, Ebenezer Scungarelli, uh, <laughs> Bob Cracciatore, and uh, Tiny Tony, and all this Cracciatore. stuff. Cracciatore! Exactly. Oh my God. So it's, there's the little flip, but it's actually, it's it's hilarious, because we do, you know, we do a lot of this, we pull a lot of stuff from, like, movies, you know, like, like The Godfather and Goodfellas, stuff like that, but then we do keep the, retain the heart of the, of uh, Christmas Carol uh, and at, at the end, but... Um, it's really it's 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 hilarious. My friends and I are all a bunch of crazy guys who who wrote this. So you know that's what we're doing. Oh, amazing! Okay, awesome. 
Well, this was a dream. Thank you so much. So much good scoop. Thank and you guys. Info. I'm such a yeah. fan, fan of your Thank podcast you for... and fan of your, your comedy, too. You guys Thanks. are hilarious. Thanks. Uh, well, have an amazing show tonight and tomorrow you when you're cl- closing out Into the Woods. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. I think this episode's actually coming out a little bit like around Christmas. So you'll be our little you'll be our little Christmas gift to the listeners. I think they're going to love hearing well, from you've you. You've been highly yeah. requested, just so you know. Oh, we, good. Many dots. Many dots. We got to know what happens. Well, they, they love, they love we, you, Broadway. We got a lot of Broadway girls that listen to us, too. So they're I really see. like, he's from yeah, Legally yeah, yeah. Blonde. Like, they want to talk. They love the Broadway babies on our podcast. Yeah, so. I think we've talked enough about all that stuff. We, like, yeah. confused oh, yeah. we all give, the things. We gave it to them. We've given them what they want. Yeah. Cool guy. Passionate guy. Loves his work. I mean, what else can we say about these people? Like, we fucking hate our guests? No, we love them. Yeah, he's great. We like chatting with them. It was an easy, great hang. And... And that's that. <laughs> I just can't believe we talk, We were talking to someone who's like, okay, GTG, going to go be on Broadway tonight. Like, it's just wild. Bad. Like, yes. you know, like, I'm just going to go be an Into the Woods on Broadway. It's it's so cool. Um, Guess what was out uh, was on the bar recently? Did you ever watch in the, the old, um, in the 90s, the Gladiators, that competition show? Yeah. Oh, yeah, they American have- Gladiators. They had that on at the bar and it's like no everything melted away. No one existed but that. Like I used then, to like know some of their names. There was like light Storm. laser, Storm, Laser. Like there were like all these guys and like you'd like have favorites. Like you'd like talk to your friends and be like, who's your favorite American gladiator? It really was so fun to watch. They're so strong and fun. But then our friend Will was like, oh yeah, when they fight with those big Q-tips. And I yes. thought that was funny. The double-ended <laughs> things. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, I I think it's like I always kind of, I was like, I'll never be strong enough, but I'd love to go on and just like compete with a friend on American Gladiators. Yeah. Be able to use the Q-tip, jump on some of those things. Seems fun. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I guess what we learned from this fucking episode is uh, cops can be bad, but corrections officers can be worse. Um. I don't know. Like, guns are bad. Domestic violence is bad. Toxic masculinity is bad. Right. Strokes, blood clots, bad. You know, being pale in the hospital. Strokes, blood clots. Yeah. Pale makeup. It's too much. It's all too much. I learned that Mr. Eyebrows Gallagher, a great actor. I thought he was a whatever actor, but now with this scene, I I think I underestimated his acting abilities. Yeah. A real real actor. Eyebrows. He does eyebrow acting. They're there. I would say they're part of his arsenal of tools as an actor. And like um, we kind of do uh, sitting dancing. <laughs> yeah, we like yeah. to sit while we dance only with our upper bodies. And you can't. It's hard to do that without looking just like I don't know a white lady have have who's had a little too much white wine. Like just like yes, move it. We were recently after a show having dinner and. I was very high and I was chair dancing like a crazy person. Well, um, the DJ was incredible. The yeah. DJ was incredible. What am I going to do? Like, Rihanna's yeah. playing Sit Still? No, it thanks. was designed to make you get out of your chair. Did we do that? No, but we moved the upper halves of our bodies. <laughs> yeah. He got half of us. He got 50% of us to buy in. Yeah, for those who don't know, I kind of want to move to Orlando and just <laughs> find a new life. I loved it there. <laughs> I love Orlando. If it wasn't for yeah. my career, I think that's where I would live. Um, uh, let's move into this week's What Would Sister Peg Do segment, which is where we direct you guys towards some kind of organization or resource that will help you, 
you know, learn more about today's episode's topics if you're interested. And this week, we wanted to point you guys to the Women's Prison Association, which is uh, also known as the WPA, and it's the nation's first organization for women impacted by incarceration. Uh, It's been around for 175 years. And as the nation's first organization for systems-involved women, they have invented the nation's most innovative programs, been at the forefront of groundbreaking advocacy efforts, and promoted forward-thinking strategies that always ask, what about women? So I was really like moved by the horrible situation that a lot of these women are put into in prison. And I, I, I just thought this organization does work to help women who are incarcerated and after they are released as well. So if you'd like more information about them, head over to www.wpaonline.org. That's uh, wpaonline.org. And that will, as always, be tagged in a story on the day the episode is released and will be saved forever in a highlight we call WWSPD on our Instagram page. Follow us on Instagram. Come on, guys. We got a lot of listeners and not as... The the, the number of ins- listeners is not the same as the number of Instagram followers. Why aren't you following us? Come on. That's my Follow us next week to start off the new year. We have Persona, season 10, episode Ooh. eight. So Ooh. it's a hot have one. Have fun. Have fun. Bye, guys. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmessedappod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmessedappod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Casey O'Brien. And to our mixer, John Bradley, and our guest booker, Patrick Kotner. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstar, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Dun, dun! dun. <laughs> Follow That's Messed Up and SVU Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.